This week's episode of I Was a Teenage Film Snob is not brought to you by fireworks or New Year's resolutions. Welcome to I Was a Teenage Film Snob. I'm James Chalmers, your friendly neighbourhood film snob, and it is a brand new year. Happy 2023, everyone. We're back after a brief hiatus over Christmas because it's not really fair to ask people to jump on a show when they're doing Christmas shopping and having parties and all sorts of stuff. Uh, But Christmas is over, New Year is over, and we're back to business. And there is no better way to begin business than with this man, my one of my favorite guests of all time. He probably is my favorite guest. Why am I going to? No sugar coating in 2023. He is. Deal with it, everyone else. Uh, please welcome back to the show, uh, Mr. Nick Owen. James, thanks as always for having me back on the podcast and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, sir. It's lovely to have you back. We've been, like, we were meant to, we're like, oh, we'll get started at seven o'clock. We've literally just been catching up for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. But, you know, 2023, doesn't that sound futuristic? It does. It sounds. Uh, someone sent me. I think it was um, Liz, who's been on the show before. She sent me an infograph recently, and was like post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic film timeline, and like where we sit on it, and like all yeah. the films that have come since then, and what's in our future still. And I was like, that's pretty good. Yeah. <clears throat> well, so for listeners probably aren't aware, I, I happen to live uh, four floors up, so I'm a bit higher up. And uh, every now and then, I just poke my head out the window to see if there's any flying cars going past, but. <laughs> No, nothing yet. So we're still a while off. Haven't seen Corbin Dallas in his yellow taxi. <laughs> no, no, that is a classic Luke Besson reference. <laughs> I know. I, I imagine people thought I would have gone like Blade Runner or something, but like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can get Fifth Element. Let's disappoint my wife further because she hates Fifth Element. Yeah, she really does, doesn't she? I remember that from back in the day talking about it. I was, um, I was telling a story. Um, exciting news is I'm going to be on a podcast this week and not one of my own ones. And we were talking about Alien and I told the famous story about how we all went and saw Alien Covenant together and Tina gave it like a 9 out of 10. I was like, oh, what would you rate the original Alien? And she was like 6 out of 10. I was like, oh, no, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's the beauty of film though, isn't it? That's it. it. I mean, and that was back before, you know, that was back when I was still a film snob, you know. Like now I'm very open-minded and I like everything, or at least I give mm. everything a chance. Yeah. Um, although I, I've, I, seen a, I've seen a couple of trailers recently. I'm like, oh, I won't give that a chance. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's also like, you know, like generational and, and you know, if you're not someone who is uh, like what I would term loosely like a student of film mm. and you're not aware, and like even obviously like you and I, James, and people of our generation like we weren't around to see alien come out Mm. but you probably you you know enough about film to be able to see it through the lens of what it would have been like when it came out but you know if you're and i don't say this at all to sound like these these youngsters but you know like if if you don't if you're just not that into films and someone shows you you know any sort of film from the 70s or 80s you're just like this is slow it's paced slowly so i can 100 percent understand that perspective of a newer version of like Alien Covenant yeah. being a bit more like easy to watch. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you're, you're correct. Like, and uh, but it's, it's funny. Like, I've got friends. I've got a friend who's really into film, and she refuses to watch anything before the nineties. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you're missing out on so mm. much like great cinema. But all right, you know, fair mm. enough. I have the same feeling about people who won't watch things with subtitles if they're in black and white. 
Um, but that's okay. Mm. I can't yeah. make. I can't force greatness upon people. No, well, it, that's true. Everyone's on their journey. <laughs> um, but I think it would be an interesting experiment. I know. I don't know if you said this on air, but I know we talked at one point about you would sort of throwing around the idea of having a a classics top five classics or, or pre nineteen eighty maybe was the concept. Yeah, we'll and, get there. There's a I've got a lot planned for twenty twenty three. Whether we get to all of it, um, there's only so many weeks in the year. But um, yeah, we'll we'll focus on twenty twenty two for a little bit this year, and then we're going to go into the nineties because um, that seemed like the, the next logical step after the eighties. Um, but yeah. yeah, I would like to do classics, and yeah, I think, I think pre eighties is the best because I, I know a lot of people. Who I'm friends with may not have seen stuff from the '60s or the, you know, that sort of thing. So if I say pre-'80s, at least they've got the '70s to, you know, they can look at, they can use Star Wars, they can use Alien, they can use, you know, a couple of movies in there as well. Jaws. Um, oh my God, The Exorcist. Okay, well I've got my list already. Yeah, I was um, going to say. So, so for me, <laughs> like I'd probably all of if we did pre-1980s as classics, I think all of mine would be from the '70s. Like I can't really think. I'd say maybe there might be a Bond film from the 60s that I would throw in. But apart from that, I just, yeah, I'd struggle to go back that far. i got a couple. I would, I mean, um, there's still a few on my list I haven't watched yet, but I'd definitely go with like probably like Psycho. Like I really like Psycho. Mm. I really like Rear Window. Um, I quite like North by Northwest. Those are all Hitchcock films, obviously. I really like 12 Angry Men. 12 Angry Men is a brilliant movie mm. um, from the 50s, I want to say. So there's plenty of – there's. I mean, but you look, if you chose everything in the 70s, like, I couldn't fault you. Like, it's a great decade. And, like, it's a really grimy decade. Like, that's when, like when Scorsese began. That's when you mm. have, you know, kind of not the rise of Clint Eastwood, but it's Clint Eastwood moving into a more – to be more of an adult actor, like going away from the Westerns, which were pretty mm. violent for their time, but like then become like Dirty Harry and stuff like that. Um, it's a grimy, grimy decade. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very grimy. Lots of grimy. <laughs> uh, how have you been, my friend? How was, uh, how's the new year treated you so far? Very well, thank you. Uh, as we were just saying, the Christmas and New Year period is always really busy. Uh, I think I've done my bit to eat my body weight in Christmas food yeah. and desserts. So paying for that now and trying to undo the sins of late <laughs> December. <laughs> um, but no, you know, just generally enjoying my holiday and um, yeah, nice to have a bit of downtime and um, getting through. I'd love to say I've been getting through some movies because this is a movie podcast, but I've been trying to catch up on some shows that I let slip um the last little bit so i'm currently just working my way through Andor, uh the the new star wars show which is much better than i thought it was going to be actually yeah, everyone says that i i haven't watched the star wars show since season two of the mandalorian i'm really mm. far behind yeah so um yeah that's about it for me nice one Nice one. Well, we will get to our topic soon. For those who are a little bit unsure, although I'm sure the title of the episode will give it away, we are going to talk about our favourite films of 2022. Um, but I feel like we have some loose ends to wrap up. I know that you watched a couple of movies that I recommended the last time we spoke. I, I don't know if any of them are on your list. So if they're on, well, actually, Aiden Lake couldn't be because it came out like 15 years ago. Uh, and I don't know if it would be on your list anyway because it's pretty gnarly. <laughs> it was. And, um, you know, I, I was just saying to you in our little um, chat before, um, you hit record that like uh, speaks to you know h- how great you are as an advocate of these types of movies because Eden Lake and and the other film that I watched Men um, are not ones I would have checked out but obviously after hearing you talk about it and your enthusiasm for them I thought oh well I definitely will so I put aside a couple of nights 
not too long after we last uh, recorded. And I think the first one I watched was Eden Lake. I thought men seems like more a rough of a, one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Men seems more like a like a cool down after that. Um, mm. Eden Lake was. I enjoyed it. Are we spoiling this film? Which is now uh, yeah, it's been it's been out for over a decade. I think you can spoil that film. I thought one of Fassbender's first, so you know who's been doing yeah, things. It was it was it was really great in how uncomfortable and brutal it was for most of the film. Mm. But I just didn't need the misery cherry on top of <laughs> spoil, spoiler. Uh, again, going to spoil this film is um, so uh, Fassbender and I'm sorry, what's the um, Kelly Riley? Like, Kelly Riley, yeah. So they're just a young couple. They go camping uh, at Eden Lake, and there's a group of young teenagers there who are sort of terrorizing them. It escalates, um, and then they end up killing Fassbender, and and she sort of escapes, running running one of them over, and she her car crashes uh, while escaping at the end, and she runs into to a house for help. Turns out to be the parents of these teenagers and the they kill her. <laughs> it is, yeah. that was, I think that's for me, I was just like, Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's, it's funny. Cause I agree with you, but I was also like, you know what? It's such a ballsy ending. Cause horror films tend to try even, even, even the nicest horror films generally try to have a happy ending. So I was, I applauded it for being like, Hey, like you stuck to your guns. <laughs> like, um, you really gave, you know, audience something they weren't expecting, you know, or at least I wasn't expecting it. Like maybe people were like, Oh, this is very predictable, but I don't know. Like there's some pretty messed up stuff in that film. That I wasn't predicting either. And that ending really um, shocked me. And that's why I don't like the film because of the ending. I just, um, I just think that it makes so many interesting and brave decisions, you know, um, for such a, you know, kind of low budget horror film. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. And um, it was kind of like, refreshingly low budget you could see that this group of like dedicated like cast and crew had just gone out to location and probably like i don't know i wouldn't know what the budget was but it it was shot mostly in the wilderness so you're not having to put up sets or anything like that Mm. but um yeah really fantastic and very unnerving i mean that the the Um, guy um who plays the the lead ruffian um i think it's what's his name o'connor on jack o'connor jack jack O'Connor. Yeah, yeah, he was in Skins. So he's always been known for playing a bit of a rough kid as it is. I mean, he's tr- kind of changed that now. He's been in some really artsy films and been, you know, I think he's played a nice guy from time to time, but he was kind of a rough kid in Skins as well. So when he showed up, I was like, ah, oh, well, he's going to be not pleasant, I'm sure. Mm. And uh, I was right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that was all right. It was a good recommendation. Um, but, again, fits into that category of films where I don't really need to see that again. Um, <laughs> and then... Man, I'd been I'd been looking forward to seeing Men since that really unnerving trailer dropped, um, and it had. You know, I'm horrible with names, so I'm what, whoever the main actress is in that uh, approaching that tunnel. I didn't watch any trailers. One thing I've stopped doing in the last few years is watching trailers. I'll watch trailers for like the stuff I'm really anticipating. So if it's a Marvel or a DC. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll generally probably go and check out the trailer if it's something I'm really, really looking forward to. But otherwise, I, I generally won't watch trailers anymore because I find that, you know, since, you know, Batman v Superman, studios have been kind of like, ah, just show everything, it's fine. Like, so I'm, I've been kind of avoiding that a bit more. So, um, men I went into not knowing anything about it. Same with, um, you know, 
we were talking before the show, Hereditary. That was one of the first horror films I watched without watching a trailer, and I probably should have watched a trailer. <laughs> uh, but I, um, I'm going in blind on a lot of things. I'm finding I'm getting more out of it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think it's not a bad strategy, but I think Men just wasn't what I was expecting, and I'm not sure, not sure I got enough out of it. I'm not sure it's going to make my list the top 22 films. Um, I thought it was an interesting performance by Rory Kinnear. Rory Kinnear. He's, I mean, look, it, it's interesting because the thesis of the film is obviously very much about you know believing women and empowering women. And I, the one thing I took away from, like, oh, like I, I really like this message, I really like what they're doing, but it is kind of weird that the standout performance is the man. <laughs> like, yes. Um, yeah. But that scene where he's giving her the tour through the cottage, I could not stop laughing. I thought it was so funny and awkward. Like, he's yeah. just so weird and doddering. Um, um, and it's just such a crazy performance. I mean, he's he's playing basically all – Every role. Members, yeah, every member of this town that she goes and stays in. Um, and then the last sort of 20 minutes is just batshit crazy. Yes. Where he's <laughs> continually just giving birth to – a more fully evolved version of himself. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I would say that out of the two of those, Eden Lake was was the superior film. I enjoyed that a lot more. I know Man's quite well critically acclaimed, isn't it? It's it got very good reviews. I think it reviewed quite well. It, it, I like that director a lot, Alice Garland. He's done some really interesting things. I mean, look, his first film was Ex Machina. Like, and to me, mm. like he he's going to go through a, what I would call the Jordan Peele effect, where he just came out swinging for the fences so strongly on his first film that nothing's going to quite compare for me. Um, but Men, mm. I, Men, I think, is the, is the creepiest film he's made. Um, and Annihilation I quite liked, but Ex Machina of, of the three is my favourite. Mm. Um, it doesn't hurt to put Alicia Vikander, who's fantastic, um, and Oscar Isaac. But those two in a room, I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, it's a lot of charisma. <laughs> yeah. And he's um, a bad. He's such a jerk in that film. But he's still charismatic. Like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, great recommendations. And as I said, it's probably more a testament to, uh, your enthusiasm for them and, and being able to communicate well. I'm going to get very enthusiastic, enthusiastic about some weird films today then just to yeah. like push you into weird directions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I, I, I think I would have checked men out, um, when I had a spare, like spare bit of time. Um, but I think you sort of propelled me watching them. Uh, a fair, fairly significant amount. So, yeah, good recommendations, man. Keep them coming. I'm I sure I will. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure. Like, uh, maybe not those two films specifically, but I'd imagine people who listen to your podcast would have similar experiences where they've checked something out on your recommendation. Yeah, I've had mixed results. I actually, there's a film on my list. So I won't talk, won't name it yet. But um, David, who's been on the show a few times, my brother-in-law, I recommended something to him. I said, "Oh, this is probably going to be." one of my favorite films of the year at the time it was i think my number one and it's moved a little bit lower since then but i recommend it and he's like oh yeah i really want to check it out i lent it to him um and i i messaged him one morning like a month later and i was like oh did you end up watching the movie he goes no i'm actually gonna watch it today so i'll let you know how it goes and like three hours later he goes it's really interesting and he's like a, a bit of a film guy like me he likes watching weird things um he's doesn't have as much time he's got a couple of kids and he will just generally go towards the stuff he, he's you know He'll prioritise what he really wants to watch. So he'll do his Marvel films, his DC films. He'll do a couple of sport films, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, But he watched it. He goes, yeah, he goes, it's really well made, but I don't know if I like it. And then when I spoke to him later, he's like, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out if I actually like that film, if it's a good movie or like if it's just 
very, very weird, uh, which I was a bit surprised by because he's pretty open-minded, but also, like, you know, not every film can be for everyone. That's the whole point. So I certainly was defended that he didn't like it, but um, I was I was surprised. I thought he would have would have dug it. So we'll see if it shows up on your list today. Mm. Um, yeah, I can't wait to get into them, man. I'm so excited to see if we've got any crossover or things. We will. There's, I reckon there's, I think there's two films definitely on both our lists. I'll, I might shock you with, I don't even know if we're there yet in our, in our episode, so I won't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but might be some surprises in there. Well, there is one thing I wanted to talk to you about, and this is kind of just a – I want to talk to you about it. We were, we were originally going to try and, and catch up before the end of the year, and that obviously didn't happen. So what I want to talk to you about is not so fresh anymore, but I'm really interested to hear your perspective. Um, towards the end of the last year, I don't know if you noticed this, but Quentin Tarantino made a couple of interesting comments about the film industry. Um, did you hear about this? I, I'm, I'm afraid I didn't. You'll have to give me the, a bit more context. Well, he made a comment about Marvel films that I don't really care about, but what he said was – um, I think he listed the 1950s and the 1980s um, along with the, the current decade as the worst decades for cinema. Um, he was pretty much poo-pooing the entire 2020s, saying there's been no, nothing good. I think he was specifically saying blockbusters, but the general consensus was this decade, there's been nothing worth watching. He was kind of very critical of 2020. Um, now, I was very astute to notice he hasn't released a film in tw- the 2020s yet, so maybe he's just been like, well, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but I wanted to know your thoughts on, on those comments. Um, I don't have the exact quotes, so I could be misread. No, 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 I can work with, I can work with that. Look, I mean, look, also, my, I'm assuming he doesn't mean the, the, the previous 10 years. He's talking about the linear I think decades. Means, I think he means yeah, 2020 so, forward, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, first of all, that's like how you're supposed to, with with two years into the decade, so mm. really, like, who who can tell me that in the previous decade that they're it's great because of two thousand and ten, eleven, yeah, twelve? <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, like, I can kind of see. So the point I would make is uh, about this decade so far, and I kind of probably aligns with Quinton a little bit. We're obviously close personal friends. So yeah, you're QT. He's your cutie. <laughs> Is and we, we've spoken about it on here is is like the last well because of COVID as well, but the last few years there hasn't been that many theatrical releases. A lot mm. of things are going straight to video on demand, like VOD services, and I think we've seen a lot more of. Um, I would say, rather than your traditional blockbuster, like I'm thinking, like a James Cameron or a Spielberg blockbuster, which is equal parts star power and like effects and like, like practical effects and computer generated effects and stuff like that is I feel like what we're seeing now is like Netflix realizing that, well, actually we can cut out a lot of the other stuff and just have star power. And so, Mm. you know, putting like, uh, was it Red Notice where it was just like three the, massive the, stars? The Rock, Gal Gadot and, um, and Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, you know. And then it's just like who cares about plot? Who cares about the storyline? I haven't seen people, it, so I don't know. But Yeah, like, people are just going to tune in to watch these three people. And it's the same with like I thought that was similar with The Grey Man. I don't know if you saw that. No, but that was Ryan Reynolds one as well, wasn't it? Mm. It's an interesting um, point. I was thinking about this recently. Um I barely touched my streaming service last year. Like we, I mean, we've used it to watch t- t- TV shows and stuff like that. But if I think about it, like most movies, like I, if I couldn't watch it in the theater, I would wait till Blu-ray and watch it on Blu-ray. So if it was a streaming exclusive, I didn't watch it. I, and I don't know whether my attitude is, oh, it's not a real movie. Cause I don't feel that way. 
but I'm more like, oh, I want to prioritize the stuff that got a release. I want to prioritize, I don't know why that is. Like maybe mm. it's a very backwards, old fashioned way of thinking. But like, yeah, look, I still haven't seen Glass Onion. That's actually one of the few films I haven't watched it that I really want to check out um, because I, I don't think it got a theatrical release and it's too early for it to have a Blu ray release. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those flicks that you know I, I haven't got to. We're actually yeah. we meant to watch it over the Christmas break, um, but then the place we were staying, we thought it was going to have internet and didn't. So we were kind of like, oh, well, it's actually kind of nice. We can unplug a bit more. We won't be on a, on mm. devices so much, although we still had you know, data on our phones, but we weren't like just streaming Netflix all day. But yeah. because of that, I haven't had a chance to watch Glass Onion yet. So um, I've yeah. stranded halfway. Uh, me and my lovely girlfriend, Alicia, have started watching it. Um, just before she went away, right before Christmas, uh, and we we did we got about halfway through. <laughs> so oh, no. she's coming back. She's coming back uh, this coming weekend. So we'll uh, hopefully pick up from where we left off and finish <laughs> it off. So I can only review the first half if that's what you wanted. I I think that Quentin's comments are a little bit unfair. I think a bit unfounded as well. Like, and that's what's taking away from him. Look, I'm not being like, oh, you know, what does he know? Like, obviously he knows a lot. Like, he's a master mm. filmmaker. Um, even if I didn't love the last one he did. Like, he, he's fantastic at what he does. Um, but I actually think 2022 was a brilliant year for film. And I'm interested to hear what you think, and I'm sure you'll you'll share your opinion shortly. But I also think that because of COVID, and I was talking about this on the, on the show I, I appear on this week, um, because of COVID, we're getting more interesting work than ever before because a lot of people have been stuck inside their houses. They've been had nothing to do because they haven't been able to work. So they've been writing, they've been creating and other people who might not have tried something are like, you know what? Okay. This is a wake up call. Like everything is fine. I, I could be gone tomorrow. If another disease comes through, I'm going to start creating and put my art out there. I think we get some really interesting, unique stuff. Like some of the stuff that's on my list, but actually most of the stuff that's not on my list because I <laughs> look, I like blockbusters. Like <laughs> that's a bit of a spoiler, but like there's a lot of stuff that, you know, is on my list or just missed the cutoff slightly was some of the most interesting stuff I've seen in years. So I, I don't, I don't know whether it's you know I don't know whether the comments fair. I think it may be a little bit you know unfounded there. I I completely agree. And the one thing I would say about my list this year is it's eclectic. But I you know I've got it in front of me here. I'm just looking at. I think like I can count at least four to five of my films weren't released in cinemas. And I think the flip side there is it's opened up this this new pathway for films that. I mean, I'm not going to call them experimental films because that's that's not the right term. But like, it's films that like, if you're relying solely on the return on investment, it's probably not going to be made. So a few a few films of mine were really straight to streaming, and they're just like really interesting takes on on a genre. Or yeah, I can't. I don't want to say too much more because I'll start. I'll just let out a name of a film. But um, <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. Uh, Look, I don't know how you can judge this decade after the first, like, two years. Um, but I also think that, like, Quentin Tarantino is not a normal critic. Like, he's someone who has possibly absorbed the most films at, to this point on the planet, you know? Yeah. Famously, he worked in a – didn't he work in a, in a video store prior to um, becoming a director? And he, he was, you know, yeah, always absolutely. recommending – it's like – you, he do, yeah. he was, and he also owns a movie theater. Has for the last fifteen years. So, mm. um, um, and I'm sorry, just to revisit the what you were paraphrasing before. Was he saying it was 
it was up there with the 80s and the 50s as the worst? Or I, think was, he said, those... I, think, I think he said the 50s and the 80s. The 80s, I'm not 100% sure on, but I thought he said 50s, 80s, and 2020s, which to me, I'm like, 80s just feels like a controversial, just for the point of controversy. Like, yeah, if, if you're not a fan of films in the 80s, it's, that's a hit to your credibility in my opinion. I'll double check. Um, he might not have said 80s. I don't want to, I don't want to pigeonhole him. Tarantino, worst decade. What did he say? No, 1950s and 1980s, so the worst eras in Hollywood history. First of all, that feels harsh to the 50s. <laughs> and 80s, I would say that's just incorrect. It's just like, I mean, we did our 80s um, episode and we both talked about, I mean, sorry, you did 80s episodes with a lot of people, but like in ours, we talked about like what the 80s meant and I can't believe that anyone would have that as one of the worst decades. And like, I feel like the 80s is quite responsible for his career like mm. not just the, i mean look he he absorbs everything so it's not specifically eighties, but i feel like you know like a lot of his casts you know kind of started in the 80s and stuff like that as well so anyway i thought it was a fascinating comment and i wasn't offended by it or being like oh like how dare he but i was like i really am interested to hear what nick thinks about this because i'm sure he'll have an opinion and like obviously both of us being tarantino fans and as i said it doesn't change my opinion of him. i'm not like oh like you know well now i'm not a fan of him anymore i'm like no no i think it's a weird comment and it feels like maybe almost like a baiting like a baited comment to just kind of get people to start talking about yeah. it um but very interesting um because yeah i i actually think we're in a really interesting like renaissance feels like too big of a word but i think we're in a really interesting rebirth phase of cinema right now we're in a post-covid world kind of and we're in this kind of post-global trauma i think now people are making really interesting decisions um but yeah mm. um the, the other thing we didn't really touch on and we we probably shouldn't stay away from the topic too long but also james gunn got elected um head of DC Studios, which is very cool. We did. We did. And making some massive changes. I don't know if you had seen Black Adam when we last I had. Uh, oh, no, 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 not when we spoke, but since then I have seen it. And when we messaged about James Gunn, I had seen it. Yeah. So, obviously, the, the big news uh, at the end of Black Adam, which I haven't seen, but I obviously know, was the reveal of Henry Cavill back as Superman. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which kind of got everyone excited. I, I, I cried. Like, you messaged me about it and it was just like, we're both just celebrating. I was, uh, I had like, well, I didn't cry, but I had, I was very like sniffed. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, and I didn't expect it. And I mean, it's no, it's not news to anyone who's in the show that I cried during superhero stuff or anything really, but it did kind of get me emotional. I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen him on a screen like in a theater for, for years. Like, cause the last time I saw him on a movie theater screen was Injustice League. Um, mm. The 2017 cut, the Joss Whedon cut, not the Zack Snyder cut. Um, but the last time I'd really seen him be Superman was Batman v Superman, which I'd had very kind of conflicted feelings on when I saw it in theaters. So the last time I really saw and appreciated him as Superman was Man of Steel, which was 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So like, it really, it's been a very weird journey. I was like, oh my goodness, it's here. And then um, James Gunn pretty much was like, look, we are doing Superman, but not with Henry Cavill. Um, but he did say that they are looking for roles for Henry Cavill. And it sounds like they're also talking about doing getting Ben Affleck to direct something. And they cancelled Wonder Woman 3, but they haven't sacked Gal Gadot. So it's really interesting to see. Like, it sounds like they want to keep the cast for different roles. Like, apparently there's rumours that Jason Momoa might not be Aquaman anymore, but he might be Lobo, which... I understand why, but also, like, I think he's a good Aquaman. But anyway, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, my I'm I'm a bit more of a absolutist maybe than that. Is like, to me, 
I think you know I've been a massive fan of like, and I've said on on this podcast a few times, but like I was a massive a massive fan of the Snyderverse. Uh, mm. Obviously, I was really into that. And then what they've done in the last kind of like seven years since uh, Justice League is kind of like keeping bits, getting rid of other bits. It's lost its cohesion. Yeah. So to me. Like it's disappointing. That's a disappointing end to Henry Cavill as Superman. But um, clear the house, you know. If you bought James Gunn in, and he's going to be like the creative director or the produ- like, if he's going to be the Kevin Feige of the DC universe, so just controlling the direction of it, like clear everything out, start from scratch, and do it well. Well, the only know? thing is, the only thing is, he directed the Suicide Squad. And that had Harley Quinn played by Margot Robbie, who was in Suicide Squad, who starred Ben Affleck Batman. So there is some, so I think they've got to do a bit of a soft reboot. Um, I absolutely think he's the right choice. I, I love James Gunn. I've never seen a film he's made that I haven't liked. I think, uh, I think he's a very, very consistent director. Um, so I trust his vision. And I'm getting really sick of seeing all these hashtag fire James Gunn things online. I'm like, guys, you got to let it go. Like, I love the Snyderverse as well. Um, it's not without its flaws um, because, and that's not even Zack Snyder's fault. Like he created some great films and then other directors stepped in and were given different directives. Like this, like every film that's not directed by, that's not directed by Zack Snyder doesn't feel like it's part of his universe. Mm. Um, and that's got nothing to do with him. So, and not even to do with the other directors. It's got to do with Warner Brothers. But like this universe has been dying f- for five years. Like it's been dying since 2017. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? Like when I saw that 2017 Justice League film, I remember liking it at the time. I was like, oh, that was fun. You know, it wasn't what I was expecting, but it was fun. But then every film afterwards, like Aquaman I liked, but it didn't feel that connected. Shazam I liked, but didn't feel connected. Birds of Prey, I didn't really know what to make of. Like, I, I think it's an okay film, but it doesn't really feel like it's tied in with anything in the universe. Um, and then we had... Wonder Woman 84, which felt even more disconnected. And then we had Suicide Squad by James Gunn. So the film has been struggling. Sorry, the, yeah, the universe has been struggling to breathe for, for mm. five years. So, like, yes, we got Zack Snyder's Justice League. but um, And whilst it would have been exciting to see more of it, like Zack Snyder's been saying again and again and again, it, since that film came out, they haven't approached me. No one's asked me to do anything else. I'm making my own things. Like he's been very, very open about it. So it is a shame, but also I think like all these super fans, like I'm not saying give up and let your dreams die, but just also know, like just, just be like, appreciate what we got. We've got some great films and there's some great story. We've got some of the, you know, some of the darkest Batman stuff we'll ever probably see. Um, we've got some of the most epic Superman stuff we'll ever probably see. Like there's some really cool stuff in there. Like enjoy that. But also like, James Gunn's a really good director. Like, he's a really good storyteller. Don't poo-poo him just because he didn't keep Henry Cavill. Like, yeah, it sucks. But Henry Cavill will be fine. I'm sure he's, you know, I'm sure he's already making a Warhammer film with Amazon, so he's cool. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's living his best life. Do you know what um, I mean? Like, he's he's fine. Like, I don't think anyone ever needs to feel sorry for Henry Cavill. <laughs> no. You're that but but, but they are they are doing it. Like, I don't know if you've seen like all those like Death of Superman logos and like Henry Cavill. Thank you, you deserve better. Like it's all over the internet. I'm um, uh, like, yeah, all right, yeah. well, yeah, you guys have, you guys declared on how the business works. Like the key word is business. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And, you know, if nothing else, we can be satisfied that we have Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, Ultimate Edition, one of the great films of the last 15, 20 years. One of the great films of the century so far, I would say. I I watched all three of Snyder's um, films last year. So I watched... um... Uh, I watched Zack Snyder's Justice League at the start of the year. So I was like, oh, I feel like watching that again. And it took me a couple of days, but I, I watched that. Um, and then I, um, towards the end of the year, I rewatched Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman Ultimate back to back. And yeah, they're, they're so great. Um, really, really good stuff. So you can't, again, like, it was, it was inevitable. He was like, they weren't going to be Batman and Superman forever, guys. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, Tobey Maguire, like, was lucky enough to get another bite at the apple. Um, I watched that movie, like, three times last year. I watched No Way Home so many times last year. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a fun rewatch. I watched 250 movies last year, and three of them were No Way Home. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just, like, a good, like, no, I'm good wary of us going off on a Spider-Man tangent, but, like, I also rewatched it, and, like, the fuzzy feeling when Andrew Garfield like comes through, I was just like, it just feels, it's like, I don't know. It's I like smile a, every time when him and Toby show up, I smile every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And I like know a, it's coming. I even kind of knew it was coming in when I saw it in the theaters because it was the worst kept secret in the world, but I smile every single time. And when he, when Andrew Garfield saves MJ every single time, still crying, mm. like, Oh my God. Yeah. This is so yeah. Great. It's a good um, callback. That one. It's so good. Um, so, 2022, I thought was brilliant. I I watched a lot. I think I watched 40 movies last year that were released in 2022, maybe slightly more. So, not a great average, but not bad. Like, that's less than one new movie a week. But I, I watched quite a few. Um, I still haven't watched um, Barbarian, which is now on streaming. So, I'll get to that. I haven't watched Strange World. Um, I haven't watched Fan- uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, Glass Onion, The Menu. Um, I've just started watching Studio 666, which is the Foo Fighters horror film, which is really fun so far. So those are all films that I wanted to watch before we got to this list, but I, I haven't quite got there yet. So um, who knows? In three weeks' time, there might be some changes to my list. Um, how did you find 2022 for movies? Look, it's it was an eclectic year for me. Uh, there was no theme. I mean, how can you ever say there is? But I, I would think in some years past, there would be some sort of you could trace a theme through my end of year lists this year. Like I think maybe if I could find a theme now looking at it, it was like fun, not necessarily like a lot of the films that I I've listed in my, my top 10 today are not films that I expect to be going into like my top 10 of all time or anything like that. Mm. A lot of them were just films well, I watched. <laughs> yeah. I watched and just had a great time with, and I thought this is just like, this has just been a great like escape, like an hour and a half, two hours of just like fun. Um, some of them I'm sure will surprise you. Some of the directors will surprise you. Um, it's okay. But uh, was it one of the great movies? I, I can't say that it was. I, I, like I'm trying to think of what I had as my top three and I think two of them would probably be in like a top three of uh, like any, any year. But I, I don't think after that, I think it, it did drop away for me. I didn't have a defined, like, you know, like top five that I think really will stand the test of time this year. Um, I don't know. You, you've obviously just, just sort of said that you thought 2022 was a great year. Like, how would you, how would you compare it, I guess, over your top five, ten list from the last few years? 
I will say this. Um, this was the hard – first of all, it was hard to cull my list down to 10. I, I loved so many movies I watched last year. Um, there were clearly some films that weren't never going to make the cut. Um, I can look, I can tell you right now, like, there's probably a dozen films that didn't come close to making the cut, uh, which is fine. You do expect that. But I – of the 40 I watched, I think maybe close to 30 of them I loved. And any one of them – like, with my 10 – I that could change tomorrow. Mm. Look, I was up till midnight last night. I was watching some stuff, and then I was like, "Oh, I should get my list sorted before you know." Give myself plenty of time to get my list organized. I did my top ten list, and I was moved things out, and I moved things back, and I kind of was like, "Oh," and I'm sort of 100 percent happy with my top ten, but I'm sticking with it. But then the order is very arbitrary, you know. Like there's so many in there. I was just like, I just need to put something somewhere. Like I would say, my top two. I'm confident with their position. Like one and two, I'm, I'm like, yep, these are my two favorite films of the year, absolutely. But everything from three to ten could change any day. Um, but I thought, and that's a good problem to have. Like it was a really consistent year. It was a big year for horror. Um, if you were a horror fan in 2022, you were treated to an absolute sumptuous feast. Um, there were so many wonderful horror films. I've got a couple on my list this, um, this year. Um, it was a big year for franchises. Um, big year for superheroes. Um, I think we still did get some some really good superhero films. I think the last time we spoke, I said that it wasn't Marvel's best year. Um, but now reflecting, I actually did love every Marvel film that came out. Um, it just got clouded by all the oversaturation. Like They just had so much content out last year. And I think even Kevin Feige said, we're stepping away from doing so much TV because it's become too much. They're going to take their time. They're not going to overload um, the slate because they realized it was too much content, which I remember when they first announced those TV shows, I'm like, this feels like a lot. Like I'll, I'll watch it all, but this feels like a lot. Yeah. I think, I think what has hampered Marvel in that respect is just like, I don't think anyone really saw how much of the content wars were upon us and, you know, each streaming services, even if each one has one, maybe two great shows per year, you know, uh, like I myself have probably access to like four or five. It's like, you know, you're looking at 10 shows there. It's pretty hard to get through 10 shows a year. Yeah. And then that tier below the, the shows that are like, they're not essential viewing, which to me, like a lot of the Marvel shows have fallen out of that, like must watch category to like nice to watch. Who's got time? You know? Well, that's my thing. Like, I, I, you know, obviously their phase four started in 2021. Um, it was 2020. It's 2021. Um, One Division was 2021. I'm pretty sure. Um, you know that Facebook started then, but I haven't gone back and rewatched any of those shows, and not because they're bad. I just don't rewatch TV like unless it's a sitcom. Like I don't go back and watch. You know, like I don't go back and watch, back and watch The Sopranos. I've only watched The Sopranos once. It's a it's a brilliant show. One of the best shows on TV. Breaking Bad. I just don't go back and watch TV shows because they eat up so much time. Like I'll put a sitcom on in the background. Um, Maybe I'll check out like uh, like a mini series like the watch. I think Watchmen I've seen a couple of times, um, but like unless it's a, a sitcom or a, a cartoon, chances are I'm not going to be watching it that much. So um, that oversaturation. And I'm a movie guy. Like you know, I don't I don't have a TV podcast. You know, I have a movie podcast. Mm. Um, so even though I liked all of those Marvel shows, like, there wasn't a Marvel show I didn't like. Every single show that's come out, like Moon Knight, was brilliant. I forgot Moon Knight came out last year. <laughs> like that was, and it wasn't even like it wasn't even like January. It came out in like March, um, 
so yeah, so Marvel did have a good year, but they there was some oversaturation, which kind of clouded my judgment the last time we spoke. Um, I think independent cinema had a great year. There's been some wonderful independent films of, of multiple genres. I've got a couple of indie flicks on, on my list, which I'm really happy with. Um, animation, I've fallen away from a little bit. I haven't watched a lot of Disney Pixar stuff over the last couple of years. Um, and I don't know whether part of it is because I'm so time precious. I'd rather watch, like, I generally watch those with, with Tina. So if I'm, if I'm by myself, I generally won't watch a Pixar flick on my own. Um, and now I'm kind of getting to that point where like, well, I've also got Zoe. So do I just wait? Do I miss a couple of Pixar films now? And then when she's old enough, start, you know, she's starting to get interested in, in animated films. So I just wait and, and do that. Um, I do have one animated film on my list and there are a couple of animated films, I think, in my um, my uh, honourable mentions. I've got like 20 honourable mentions. Um, yeah, okay. And I'll question without notice, but I'll, I'll do it. revisit this Love it. at the at the end. I was going to ask you, when we when we get through our top 10 lists... Uh, so at midnight, yep. <laughs> I was going to ask you, who won 2022? There can only be one answer. Like, who's the one person who won 2022? And I'd be interested to get your take Actor, on that. Actor, director, or... Just what, who won it? I mean, look, I think... The, the audience did. The audience won 2022. <laughs> Is that a diplomatic answer? I'm like, oh, well, we won. Um, I, I, I loved 2022. I've got, I've got, do you have a couple of answers? I've got one answer. I, do you want my answer now? Or do you want to wait till the end of the list? I think the end of the list, because I wouldn't want to then get into a conversation that. Sure, sure. Like, honestly, like, as soon as you finish answering the, asking the question, the name hit my, my brain straight away. And mm. like, th- that person does have a film on my list. It's not high on my list, but it doesn't matter. Like, I think they won 2022 personally. Um, oh, I also haven't seen Avatar Way of the Water, but I probably wasn't going to say that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, should we dive in? Should we start listing? Let's dive into the water, the uh, way what, of the water. Oh, that is the way of the <laughs> water. Uh, I will let you go first, my man. What is number 10 on your best, or oh, I guess we're saying favourites, like our favourite films from 2022. What is like you, um, sorry, I'm just getting comfortable for this extravaganza. Do Top it. Top 10 lists are new for us, aren't they? Yeah, we haven't done it before. Um, like you, the top three of mine is probably set in terms of order of like favorites. From there, it's just like I just had, had to get these movies in. Um, and with the exception of my my 10th favourite film, which I'm about to go into, um, just a few stats. Uh, this would be the first time in a long, long time no Marvel theatrical release features in my wow. top 10. Now, I, that obviously won't give too, much, too many spoilers away, but I just thought I'd throw that out there early. But number 10, I've played a bit fast and loose with the rules here, is actually a special, uh, but it's based oh. on a film property. And that's the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Oh, I only didn't put it in my list because it wasn't a feature. Um, yeah. So th- that and Werewolf by Night were, are on my honourable mentions. I just didn't put them in because they weren't full films. Uh, what a lovely, heartwarming piece it of was, cinema that is. It was great, wasn't it? And look, uh, you know, I almost, I toyed with messaging you to say, what's the rules on like, like specials and stuff There are no like. rules, mate. There are no <laughs> rules. <laughs> but um, I... It, it was like the perfect Christmas special. It was like heartfelt and it was like getting the gang back together. But I think James Gunn really understood the assignment. It, it didn't have to be this big story. It was just like, let's go kidnap Kevin Bacon and present him as a gift to Star-Lord. 
Yeah, and look, and it that's had, it. It had a great, like, first of all, a huge, huge story point that hasn't been addressed in any of the movies so far. Um, spoilers, which is that Mantis is Star Lord's sister. Um, which that, at the it, end, when she finally told him, I cried. I was, it was really emotional, wasn't and it? I knew the whole time because it came up very early. Um, and also, like, um, oh my goodness, Pom, is it Clementoff? I'm going to get Clem, a name. Yeah, I think it is Clementoff. Um, she is always good in those films. I've always enjoyed her in those Marvel films, but she was the hero of that flick. She I felt was like standout. She was so funny, so charming. I felt like she was given the – this was the – I won't say movie, the piece that she was given the most she's able to do. Quite often she's relied on as like a one-liner or like a little cameo because she's really not one of the main guardians. Um, but in this it's just for a large part of the special, it's just her and Drax – on earth that scene yeah. when they're like um they're walking through la and they're just like posing collecting yeah. money that was so really good. funny um well james gunn even said he said that um you know one of the flaws of the last two avengers films is that mantis was sidelined a bit too much and they hadn't really they hadn't um taken the option to explore some of her powers and stuff like that and so he used the christmas special as a chance to kind of give her more attention um and it was the right decision like she so great. I mean, I've loved Mantis since she first appeared on screen in Guardians 2. I always thought I just dug her whole vibe. I just love the way she looks. I love her attitude. Um, I love that she doesn't get she doesn't get Drax at all, but she totally gets Drax at the same time. Um, but yeah, like it made me want like a Mantis movie. I was like, can you give me like more Mantis? Like she's so yeah, that's good. Right. I think in particular shout out needs to go to the way she drinks that shot of alcohol when her and Drax, I don't know if you remember, it's such a small part of it, but like they get a shot at that bar they go to, a shot of alcohol, and Drax just like drinks it straight and she like holds it up and just like licks it out. She's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is not very good in a podcast episode, but it was really, really funny. She's just like lapping it out of this shot glass. No, she was great. And like when. <laughs> When they um, are stealing Kevin Bacon's like lawn decorations, and he's like, "Well, he's like, I left mine behind." She's like, "Well, that's your fault. We've got to, you know, we've got to <laughs> yeah, move on." Right. Um, and she's like, she's, "She's just got this giant candy cane, and she thinks it's a person." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, great, great, like hour of entertainment, and uh, it, it was, went so fast. It was so yeah. quick. Um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it, and a late entrant, but straight into my top 10 for the year. No, it was um, – that was so much fun. I, I loved it. Um, and I was worried. I don't know why. I was, worried, I was, like, I was like, it could be cheesy. Like these, these specials, these TV shows, like, they, like they're good, but like I don't really go back. But like that one I could totally watch anytime. And like it'd be one of the – like if I had to go and do a Marvel rewatch, you know, the next time I do, I generally do it once every couple of years, I would throw that in there. So I'm like, well, that's a good little piece of the Guardian story. So I'd want to watch that, whereas the shows I probably wouldn't go through. Mm. Um, no, that's a great first one for your list. Uh, nice one. All right, mate, number 10. Number 10. So my only animated film is in number 10. I actually watched it on New Year's Eve, so it literally was the the, the end of the year. Um, and this was a film that was really divisive and a lot of people didn't like it. I never, never really understood the, the hate for it in the lead-up to its release. Um, but it, it was Lightyear, the, the Buzz Lightyear film. Um I know people like were unhappy that um, t- Tim Allen didn't. I was going to say Tom Allen, who's a very different comedian. Uh, <laughs> that Tim Allen didn't reprise his role, but 
the whole point of this film was it was meant to be the movie that Andy saw. They even put it in the, up front in the uh, before the movie starts um, in 1995. Andy saw, you know received a to- uh, received a toy based on his favorite movie. This is that movie. Like that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like an origin of Buzz Lightyear, how he kind of becomes the Space Ranger hero, that sort of thing. And um, it's wonderful. Like, I mean, first of all, like it's Pixar, so the animation's brilliant. Like the animation is spot on. It's really, really funny. It's really clever. It's really emotional. Um, Chris Evans is obviously doing some, some really great voice work there. It's action-packed. Um, it's a time travel story. I don't know. You haven't – have you seen it? I haven't. Uh, my first question I was going to ask you, though, sorry to cut in there if you've no, go. still got on your, your review, was, was like um, did it give you that like Toy Story warm, fuzzy feeling? It did because there are moments throughout the film where he says things that Buzz Lightyear, the action figure, says. And yeah. like, now you're like, oh, well, he said that because there's a lines in the movie. Yeah. Like when they land on the planet, he goes um, – the surface is quite unstable. There's no signs of intelligent life and the, the surroundings are quite unstable. Like that's literally, um, I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says in there. And like, yeah. there's so many times where he'll make a comment and you're like, oh, Buzz, the action figure said that in Toy Story 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> 30 years ago, sorry, almost 30 years ago. Um, it's a really fun action film. It just happens to be about, you know, an animated film based on a film from 30 years ago. But uh, I think people were really harsh on this. I couldn't like we got to the end of it, and we were like, "This was the exact right film to watch tonight." Because we always watch a movie on New Year's Eve. For the last couple of years, between COVID and having a kid, we haven't been able to go to the cinema, so we have to pick carefully. Mm. And I would say, of the last three films we've watched since COVID, this was the easily the best one. The first one was Wonder Woman '84. Um, the next one was Matrix Resurrections, and then we watched Lightyear, and Lightyear was definitely the best of the three. Um, and I like those other two films as well. But yeah, it was so much fun. Um, it's yeah, so it's about him. He basically he's responsible for a whole like ship filled with a civilization crash landing on a planet, and their um their, like their light year projector is broken or whatever it's called, so they can't get back into light speed. Um, and so he's trying to fix it. And it's funny because the opening of it is very similar to another movie I'm going to talk about soon. I won't spoil it, but it's a movie you and I've definitely seen. Um, yeah, and um, he just keeps like stuffing up and the test keeps going wrong. Um, but every time he goes up and tests the, the light speed engine, time jumps ahead, which is very reminiscent of Interstellar as well. Yeah. Uh, so he comes back and like, it's been four years and then he comes back. It's like, so he, like he ends up like missing everyone he knew. He starts, he just misses their life. And then like, suddenly he's trying to complete a mission that no one knows about anymore. And then he's, so then there's this whole kind of moral quandary, like, will I continue the mission or do I give up? Um, and then like Zerg, who's obviously the, the villain in the, in the Toy Story movies, like he shows up because it's been so long that this ancient robotic civilization is now trying to take over this planet they've inhabited. Uh, and then he has to, he's like, well, now I have a new mission, but in order to, to complete my mission, I need to complete it. Like it's very layered. There's a lot going on for an animated flick. Like, and I know Disney and Pixar always do that sort of thing, but it just felt like there was a lot more special going on than people have given it credit for. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of, um, it's, it also sounds like a bit of uh, – did you ever read or watch Foundation? No. So it just sounds like there's a bit of like that kind of sci-fi element thrown in, just a bit about him trying to complete a mission that no one really remembers or knows about. That's yeah. kind of Foundation-ish. But, yeah, okay, great recommendation. Yeah, I haven't seen it, um, but I'm like a massive fan of Toy Story. It was like that played a very big part of my childhood. So It's really enjoyable. I, I was shocked that people – 
came after it as much as they did. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And really, you know, Pixar always do a good job making you cry. And there was some pretty like heartwarming and heartbreaking moments throughout, um, throughout the film. And also they give you what to infinity and beyond means like, and what it means to that character in the movie, mm. which they've never really, like, it's always just been like a toy catchphrase, but they actually gave it some meaning, which I really liked. Yeah. That's pretty um, cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Like they, again, like they could have just, you know, and Disney never does this really, and Pixar never do it. They could have just coasted on the name and just put in something subpar, but I think they created something really special, and I think people have been very unfair on this movie. So Lightyear is my number 10. Definitely worth watching. Very good. All right, number nine. Another late entrant in the year. Uh, for me, my number nine is Avatar, The Way of Water. Interesting. James, um, Jimmy, Jimmy Cameron delivering now, the goods? Well, it probably says a lot about this film from my perspective that it wasn't the number one film of the year. Uh, okay. Like, I can't believe we're living in a world where a sequel to Avatar came out and it wasn't the, the best film of the year. But um, truthfully, I think it was it was lacking a lot. Uh, from memory, you've, you saw the first one like once. Am I correct? Never seen that? It. Never. Okay, well, there you go. Sorry. I'm, there you go. Um Pretty close, but once it's, is pretty close to zero times. I so. couldn't remember if I've had another conversation about someone who had seen it once in the cinemas and hadn't seen it since. And yeah, um, visually stunning, and it's getting in here. It's like in here because of the like how much I enjoyed just looking at this film. It's it's truly incredible, and for anyone who just wants to ha- like have an incredible experience, like do check it out at the cinema because it, it's stunning. Um, but I can't help but feel that the characters are in a pretty similar place at the end of the film as they were to the start. And while that's not a crime in itself, it is a franchise. Um, I think when you have 14 years to uh, work on a, on a sequel, then I think you can probably like, like, Basically, they play back the same villain. They play, do that old, like, even though uh, Quaritch from the first film dies at the end of the film. Spoilers. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in this film, uh, in The Way of Water, it's the old, well, right before he died, we saved his memory and personality on some future tech thing. Okay. <laughs> and then they upload it to, a, to an avatar. So um, I just thought story could have been stronger I understand what James Cameron's going for, but I think you could trim down the middle 90 minutes of the film to about half an hour. Yeah. Just get that plot moving along a little bit more. Sounds like I really didn't like the film. It is it is really enjoyable, visually stunning. Um, and it follows Jake Sully, who's now a fully he's Navi. He's fully rather than being an avatar, he's just fully Navi. He's converted. Yep. That's it, and he's he's got a, a young family now, and so it's about him protecting his family because they're being hunted um, by the sky people, aka humans. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's my. There's not too much. I mean, it's still very very new at the cinemas. I don't want to say too much more about the plot because I know. People I mean, you will gave away it. the ending. So. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, you gave. Oh, sorry, you gave it the villain. I assumed that was the twist, but no. Um, oh no, sorry. He's he's like in the first five minutes of the film, he's back. Oh, okay, no worries at all. Mm. I um yeah, I haven't seen the first one. I remember when the first one came out, uh, and I was very pretentious back then, very snobby. I didn't get the, I di- I didn't get it like in the trailers. I just didn't understand the hype for it. 
And there was just one of those films that was in cinemas for so long and everyone, like, no one would shut up about it. Like, that movie was in theatres for over a year. And I was like, I'm sorry, like, you're clearly just trying to get every single dollar. I'm not going to go spend my money on this film. I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> um, and then I got to a point where I was going to finally check it out. And then this one came out. And I will say this. The second, the sequel, I get. I saw the trailer. I was like, that looks incredible. Like, it looks beautiful. I can't believe how gorgeous the animation is. Like, that looks really fantastic. Um, so I do get the appeal of this one um, as opposed to the first one. Also, I've obviously softened up a lot since the first one came out. Um, I just don't like James Cameron. I like his films. I, 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 I like, you know, I, I don't mind his films. But as a person, like, he just says dumb stuff all the time. And I'm just like, shut up. Yeah. Like, he's, stop trying to upset people on the internet for no reason. If he was a silent director, like he just made films and then you just didn't hear from him, he'd be much easier. He'd be a, a, an easier pill to swallow. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, he's got such a high profile that he is a massive part of the, of the films that he makes and half of the press um, I've seen pop up on like YouTube for Av- Avatar 2. It's just like him doing all the interviews and it's like, oh, God, shut up, man. And look, and he look, he's obviously very clever. Like he's so ingenuitive. Like he's created so like the film industry is better because of him. Like he has created so much and created so much. So I'm not saying I'm not taking away anything from that. I just like I just feel like he makes inflammatory comments just for, just to rile people up, and I don't dig that. It's like mm. why can't you share the success? Like why can't you enjoy other people's success with your own? Like if I remember when I think when Genesis Terminator Genesis came out. Um, or maybe no, I think it was when Wonder Woman came out. He criticized Wonder Woman because, like, you know, when I met Terminator, my hero wasn't pretty. I was like, well, that's you know a nice thing to say about Linda Hamilton. I'm sure she loved that comment. Yeah. Like, you know, like he's like she was a real woman, and I was like, well, Linda Hamilton's actually quite attractive. So that's kind of mean. And also, like, what just because I just is he just bitter because he didn't get to make the Spider-Man film he's been making in the '90s? Like, I don't <laughs> understand. Like, he just says things that annoy me, but. I will get to both Avatar films. So I, I'm now at a, a very zen place now where I can watch those movies. I just haven't got Wow, well, you just need a fair bit of time. You need about seven hours now. Yeah. And that's only going to grow. That's the other thing. Like from what I've, from what I've read about the second one is that um, uh, it is quite bloated in the story, which to me is like, just use the scissors, man. Like, you, you know, if it's unnecessary, cut it. Like I've seen long I, – I don't mind a long film, but earn your runtime. Yeah, I'm just trying to find some stats on. It's already made 1.4 billion. I mean, that would have oh. to put it in the top like five films now. Well, that's, that was the other thing he said. Oh, if we don't make at least 1.3 billion, we probably won't be able to make a sequel because we won't make our money back. Which to me is like, well, that seems really irresponsible. But that doesn't make sense though, because the, it's telling me the budget is 250 million dollars. So. Yeah, but you... then like advertising, like whatever the budget, I don't know if it's still this way, but back in like the 2000s, um, whatever a film's budget was, production budget, you then have to double it because they pay about the same amount of money on advertising. Uh, okay. That yeah. was in the 2000s though. Like that was the studio system then. I think these days it might have changed a little bit. I'm not sure. But even still like, yeah, that's um, that's crazy. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's number nine, Avatar, The Way of Water. Nice one. Uh, my number nine, um, I think you'll be you'll be disappointed at how low it is on my list. But as I said, the numbers are quite arbitrary, but I'm shocked that this is even in my list because when I, the advertising for this film came out, when they kept promoting it, I just did not care. I saw trailers. I could not care less about this film. It didn't appeal to me at all. And then I sat down and watched it. I was glued to my screen for two and a half hours straight. And the minute it finished, I could have rewatched it again. 
Um, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but number nine on my list is Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Woo! Um, I loved this movie. I cannot believe how much I love this film. Like I, I'd never seen the original Top Gun, so what I did was I bought the double pack and I watched them back to back over two nights. The first one I thought was fine. Um, I watched it. I'm like, I get the appeal, but I think Top Gun fans need to chill out a bit. Like it's, <laughs> it is okay. Like it's, it didn't redefine, it didn't define the eighties for me, uh, but it was fun. But two is so well done. Like from the get go, from the middle, like, and that's so. When I was talking about Lightyear before, the opening of Lightyear is very much like the opening of Maverick, where they're doing <laughs> testing of shuttles and stuff and trying to get to high, high speeds. I was watching with Tina, and I was like, uh, Light with Lightyear was here. I'm like, oh, this is like Top Gun Maverick. Um, Tom Cruise may be the most likable he's been in any film in mm. this film. He's so good in it. Um, Jennifer Connelly is great. Miles Teller is maybe the best I've liked Miles Teller. Um, and he, I, I love him in Whiplash, but I, this might be his best performance. I thought the entire cast was great. Um, I love that this film had a purpose. The first Top Gun film, I kind of felt like, it was like, oh, we're just training. And then, like, in the last 15 minutes, like, oh, quickly, here's an assignment for you guys to do. But <laughs> yeah. This was, like, from the get-go. This is what we need to do. Um, and, like, the tension was built so well. It's like, oh, my God, like, how are they going to do it? And then when Tom finally gets behind the wheel and shows that it can be done, I was like, oh, this is really exciting now. I'm really digging this. And the fact that all of those actors had to, like, were in planes for real. Like, I know that I've said in the past, like, oh, you know, just because you can do it doesn't mean you have to. Like, it's movies. And I've criticized Leonardo DiCaprio in the past for The Re- uh, the Revenant. And I think I've even t- criticized Tom Cruise to an extent. I was like, you know what? It really elevated the film for me. Yeah, like, I was, like, knowing there were real stakes and they really made me enjoy it more. I, th- I thought it was fantastic. It's pretty lean, isn't it, for, like, a blockbuster of that size? Like, there's not much fat to cut there. Like, it's, When I watched it, I was like that, like, that film made me question Tarantino's comments. That was the film, like, what do you mean blockbusters aren't? They are making good blockbusters. Mm. What do you mean they are Like, this is a film made for everyone. And if you got me to like this movie, a film I had zero interest in, I had no care for, if you turned me around on it, then, like, clearly they're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean... For, for fairly obvious reasons, I won't yes, speak too much about this film. I know it's low on my list. I know that um, like No, but like it warms my heart that it made it because I know you weren't a, a, a kid who grew up with the first one as I was. Mm. Um, I'm interested. Um, it's pretty rare that you ever encounter someone who like didn't grow up with the references from Top Gun directly, but was it, did you have one of those or how many aha moments did you have while watching the first one where you're like, ah, uh, okay. That's why people say that. No, oh, I knew enough about it. I, I knew enough like from watching movies and for, for being, taking interest in the film industry for, for most of my life that, um, yeah, like, there weren't too many aha moments. Um, and I did like the first one. Like there were mo- like that moment in the bar when like they do the karaoke and stuff like that. Like, I, I really enjoyed that sort of thing. Yeah. I just felt like that the plot of the first one was very loose, which is why I was kind of like, all right, guys, you need to chill. But the second one, they more than made up for it. Like, like Maverick is superior. Like, and yeah. it's and it seems like the general audience and fans of that film are in agreement, which is so hard to do is to take <clears> a film, you know, and make a sequel 30 years later and be like, hey, we actually like this one better. Um yeah, um, I, I could not believe how much I enjoyed it. And again, like Tom Cruise is not like – I've never really had a strong opinion on Tom Cruise. I've always kind of said, like, oh, he's more of a movie star than an actor. Like, I, I don't mind his films, but I don't really go back and rewatch his stuff very often. 
but this was fantastic. Like he was so good in it. It was again, with the exception of Collateral, which I haven't seen in almost twenty years. This might be the best thing he's ever done. Like he's so good in it. Yeah, I, I believe it's his highest ever grossing film. Which, which that shocked not- me when I saw that. I was like, really? But he made all those Mission Impossible films. Like surely he's made some money mm-hmm. on those. But yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, great flick, great flick. Yeah, I could not believe. Like, again, like, I, I look at a couple of people that work behind him, like, like you got to watch it. It's really good. Like, it's a great film. It's like, yeah, I'll get to it. And I remember I bought a bunch of Blu-rays one weekend, and that was one of them. I watched the first two, and I was like, yeah, I'll get to Top Gun. Like, I kept putting it off uh, just because I was like, yeah, I'll watch it for the end of the year, but I wasn't in a rush to watch it. And I just could not believe how much I enjoyed it. Um and like even now talking about it, I'm like man, I gotta go. I gotta watch Top Gun again. Like it's just, it's so enjoyable. Um, and uh, I'm converted, you know. Like as I said, like that's no, that's no mean feat. Like and I'm not like I'm not the hardest person to impress. I generally have a pretty positive outlook towards most films, but it was just something that wasn't even on my radar. I just had no interest at all. So um, they really impressed me with this flick. I had such a great time with it, and I'm sure we'll hear more about it uh, a little bit later. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're always playing so coy with me. <laughs> um, all right. Are you ready to move on to number Let's eight? Let's go to eight. All right. My number eight was actually a straight uh, – well, not a straight two, a video-on-demand film that uh, appeared on Amazon Prime uh, starring Christopher Pine, in my opinion, the leading Chris in Hollywood. Really and interesting. And Way Newton. Uh, and it was called All the Old Knives. Oh, I haven't heard of this one at all. Yeah, uh, surprisingly, I, it was came and went. I don't think it was very sticky in the culture. I don't think um, there was a lot of fanfare about it. Um, but it's it's a real old fashioned um, espionage thriller. So it's sort of uh, you could file it alongside Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and those kinds of um, films. So Chris Chris Pine basically is a CIA agent and his brief is to investigate uh, who leaked some information that led to a uh, hostage situation on a plane yeah. uh, t- like about 10, 15 years uh, previous. Uh, and so it's basically, it's, you can tell that it's basically shot like an independent film. There's, it's very dialogue heavy. In fact, the whole last act of the film takes place at a restaurant when he's, uh, sort of confronting the person who he thinks leaked the information. Um, really, really great uh, suspenseful um, espionage thriller. Nice one. Um, definitely check it out. I, I, as I said, I don't think it was very sticky. I think it came and went pretty quickly from the public consciousness. Um, and Truthfully, I, I just watch all Chris Pine films because I really like him as an actor. He's um, always someone who flies under my radar. And, like, it's funny because every time I see him, I'm like, oh, he's great. But every time I watch him, I'm like, oh, Chris Pine, he's so fantastic. But he's just never on my – like, kind of in my in my peripherals. He's never kind of in my vision when, like, I'm looking for films and stuff. I, I think the best thing that he – that happened to him was, like, not doing any more Star Trek. I think he was he was just about to be, like – a franchise guy and, and I, he's sort of like pivoted a little bit. I think he worked with, um, I think he did a few films with that, like Taylor, what's his name guy who wrote um, Yellowstone and he. Taylor Sheridan. He, is that, Taylor Sheridan. Yeah, that's him. And yeah, he, he did, did, he did like Wind, Wind River and um, 
Yeah. Um, oh, the, the one with the one with Chris Pine. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, the Southern Bank Robbery. Yeah, one? that's yeah, the one yeah. I, with with Ben Foster. I just can't think of it. Yes, 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 yes. I can't which remember. Which is a great film, and he's just doing some really interesting choices. I, I actually haven't seen um, the n- new film that was directed by Olivia Wilde and had Hello Harry High Water and, is the one that yeah. you're talking about. Um, uh, that one's Don't Worry, Darling. Yeah, I didn't see that. Um, I haven't seen it yet either. Um, so, uh, yet to check that out, but I do try and catch most of his films and, um, yeah, definitely check that out. If I know, uh, this year has been very strangely a year. We've spoken a lot about Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, yeah. but <laughs> considering it's like 10 years old at this point, but it, you know, if, if you watch that on our recommendation and you enjoyed, um, enjoyed that, then I think this film's for you and you should check it out. Nice one. I'm glad that you've mentioned it now. Hopefully, hopefully, get a physical release. I like to collect these things, but um, otherwise, I'll, I'll watch it on streaming eventually. Um, nice one. Uh, my number eight, I think, is going to surprise a lot of people. It's the first of a few horror films. Um, this film was torn to shreds uh, by pretty much everyone, um, and unfairly so. Um, I am talking about Halloween Ends, uh, the final chapter in the David Gordon Green Halloween trilogy. Um, I, I, I loved it. Like from, from, and maybe it's because my expectations were low because everyone's been hating on it, but people have been hating on this franchise for a while now. Like they, people didn't like Halloween kills either. And I loved Halloween kills. That was actually on my top 10 films last year. So two years in a row, a Halloween film has been in my top 10 list. Um, I really love the approach they're doing to the, to this franchise. They've given it like, this is a, is a slasher film. So the first one is perfect and then since then they've kind of been going into a bit more of a just like hey it's a slasher film let's just be a bit more mindless which is fine because that's what i expect from a slasher film that's what the audience wants but with this they went a little bit more cerebral like this trilogy has been about some really emotional things the entire franchise is about um trauma and legacy uh the first film is about paranoia the second film is about um trauma and and survival and this third one is about legacy and uh and blame and forgiveness it's, it's really fascinating kind of the way they approach these these horror films so basically the reason why most people didn't like this film is because michael Myers is, is hardly in it um instead there's a new villain there's this boy named Corey, and he's a babysitter and in the opening the pre-credits so the opening scene before the credits he's babysitting someone there's an accident and a child is killed um like by accident like he basically like the kid locks it i'm gonna spoil it because the film's been out for months um and you're not going to watch it until I've spoken to you about it, and then you may watch it. But basically, he's playing hide-and-seek with this kid. The kid locks him in the closet. He gets a bit of a panic attack. He kicks the door, and the kid's hiding behind the door, and the kid flies off a balcony and falls down, like, four four flights of stairs, basically, to his death. Just his parents walk home as well. Pretty confronting opening scene, especially as a parent. I was like, Jesus Christ. It's like, thank God I'm not rich in a four-story house. Um <laughs> And then basically what goes on from there is he just gets like everyone just holds him responsible. They think he did it on purpose. They think that like um, he's a child killer. He's the next Michael Myers. Um, whereas um, there are other characters. Um, so the Andy, I think her name's Matichak. But basically she plays um, Jamie Lee Curtis's granddaughter. She killed someone in the last film, or she kind of has done some things, and she's been forgiven. So, like, it's kind of it's this kind of parallel story about their two paths, about how she has been kind of let off the hook because she's the daughter, the granddaughter of Laurie Strode, whereas this kid who 
it clearly was an accident. Nothing was deliberate. He's been blamed and kind of like the way blame can shape someone's journey. He he starts to go down a dark path and kind of becomes basically um, a protege of Michael Myers. Like they actually have like bonding scenes and stuff and they go on kills together. It's very interesting. Um, But yeah, it's, it's just fascinating that they took this very, again, like cerebral kind of, emotional path. I think that's why people didn't like it. They were like, well, I just want my Michael Myers to kill people and stab people. And they do plenty of it. These last two films have been the most violent Halloween films ever, but they've just given us a bit more. Um, And also, like, since the first movie, we've known this trilogy is going to be about legacy because they've all been talking about 40 years later, how do you move on, what's going to happen next? So you can't have legacy without someone to pass the legacy on to as well. Um, so I didn't, so, you know, you have to introduce a character and it, maybe they could have introduced him earlier. Like I've heard that argument and I, I don't think it's a bad argument, but I didn't think it interrupted the flow of the story whatsoever. I, I really liked Halloween ends. I think it was, um, unfairly maligned and I think it was one of the, you know, it was a great way to end the franchise. I really, really enjoyed it. Some top tier performances in there. I think everyone's really good. It was really fun and um, had some really good scares and, and kills in it as well. So, yeah. So, so I'm. I must admit, um, I'm a couple behind on the DGG one. So I saw. Was it just Halloween? Was that the yeah, first? It's called Halloween. It was the 2018 one. That was the one yeah. 40 years later. Yeah, that's right. I really enjoyed that. I, mm-hmm. I thought it was like a badass way to bring back um, the Laurie character as well. She's just been like basically like she's, she's been preparing for 40 years. Commando. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then I missed the second one and just give me a quick, um, synopsis. So is, so kills like, is the same night. So kills, so kills happens like minutes after the first one happens. Um, and basically, um, as they're driving away from the burning house, fire trucks go to the house to put out the flames. Michael Myers escapes, kills a bunch of people and then continues his rampage. Um, and basically the entire town is poisoned with this idea of revenge because they're so out of sorts because they've been haunted by Michael Myers for 40 years even though he went on one killing spree 40 years ago because Laurie Strode's still around because that um, legacy has been sitting over their town they're so poisoned by the idea that like there's this whole riot scene and they go around the the, the hospital around town chanting evil dies tonight which people thought was really corny when I saw it I cried I was like, oh, my God, like, look at them trying to seize their destiny back. Like, this is a really beautiful moment. You don't get this in horror. Um, you know, so to get them kind of seize it back and try and take their town. But then after the third film, it changed that scene for me because I was like, oh, maybe what this trilogy is telling us. And again, this is just a theory of mine. It just doesn't mean it's right. Maybe what this, this, film, this series is trying to tell us is that Michael Myers isn't evil. This town is evil. And if there's not a Michael Myers, there's always going to be someone else to take over and to to pollute the mines, to poison the town and, and to re, uh, wreak havoc on it. Like that's kind of what it felt like by the end of the trilogy. But the second one is basically the rampage continues and the town like rising up to try and take him out um, and hurt, hurting a lot of people by accident in the way because they're so kind of frenzied about trying to stop him. Mm. Um, I think it's a fantastic trilogy. I actually think each film... I'd probably rank them two, three, one. I think one is the weakest for me because one, like when I saw one, I liked it, but I was like, oh, I don't really get the hype. It's just more of the same thing. Like it's brutal and it's badass, but I've seen it before. Mm. Two and three were doing things I hadn't seen before. They were going into a day with the exception of the Laurie story where they're kind of, they were focusing a lot more on paranoia. I really liked that in that first one. Um, but these, the second and third one, they took it to a whole new level and went to more emotional and, um, 
I guess, kind of like philosophical places that you don't get in these kind of movies. So, and the second film, and even this one, I would say they're not horror films. And maybe that's why people didn't like them. Like the second one is a drama. It's a drama about how to recover from trauma. There just has to be a lot of stabbing in it. Um, and, and the third movie, again, is a lot more about the, you know, the whole nature versus nurture and how do, how do we grow and what path we take if we're shown forgiveness versus blame and will we rise up and become better people or we kind of become the monsters they think we are? Um, which, yeah, is pretty unusual, not just for a horror movie, but for a franchise slasher, like never. Um, so, yeah, I, I really think that these films were were really um, unfairly criticised and there's a lot going on in these. And that, that, lot, that latest one I thought was really, really good, really strong. Uh, very good, mate. Very good. You've done it. You've done it. I'm gonna uh, as soon as we finish this podcast, I'm gonna be like, where can I? Whether I have to, I don't know if that's on a streaming service or whether I've got to resort to an iTunes download. Um, it won't be on streaming just yet. I think the physical copies come out very soon, so streaming shouldn't be too far off. Yeah, very good. Very good. All right, we're moving on to seven. Seven. Seventh okay. heaven. <laughs> very good. Uh, well, my my number seven is a film spoiler that also features Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, it's probably one of the more creative films. Oh, I've I know where you're going with this. Ever seen? Um, certainly, the last few years, and I do think it. I do think it contains the best individual performance of the year, and that's everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I'll be talking about this one later. Okay, I'll I'll well, try not to like over talk about it, but. Um, my, I, this one literally blew my mind. There is so many ideas fighting to like take shape in this. And I think as a starting point for talking about this film, I just like Michelle Yao's performance is incredible. So, so again, I don't want to go over the plot in too much detail in case it comes up again, but essentially she's sort of, um, Michelle Yao's playing this, um, middle-aged lady who's, got a family and she's running a laundromat um her life is sort of a bit stagnant and going nowhere and um as she's in a meeting about her taxes <laughs> she gets contacted from another dimension and essentially gets pulled into a plot to try and save the universe uh and and parallel universes as well and i won't go into the specifics but in this film she sort of can channel other versions of herself Mm. Uh, and so she is constantly in the same scene switching her acting from like being great at like Kung Fu to like being <laughs> a teppanyaki chef to, oh, I can't think of the top of my head what else she does. She's like, an, she's like a, a, like an award-winning film star. Yeah, that's right. And like yeah. in some, you know, we, we might as well talk about it now. Like I'll touch on it a bit more later, but yeah, like, um, in some realities, she's with her husband because that's the other thing. Like while they're going through trying to get the taxes sorted, they're going through a divorce as well. Mm. Uh, but then in some in some realities, they never met or they never got married. And like he was like, I would, tra-, you know, he's like, there's a beautiful line. I think it's when she's the film star version, and he goes, I would give anything to run a laundromat and do my taxes with you. Mm. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, played by Kehi Kwan, who was short round in Indiana Jones. Like he's know, back I, I, after 40 years. Yeah. And it's like, if those are your two films, you're doing pretty well. Well, he did Goonies, and I think he's going to be in the new Indiana Jones as well. Ah, okay. Well, yeah, I, um, I actually didn't know that, that he was going to be in the film 
And so it took me a couple of scenes. I'm like, where do I like recognize yeah. like that kind of like face and voice? His voice is actually kind of sounds like short rounds would when he was an adult. Yeah. Kind of a little bit squeaky. Um, and yeah, I was like, what is that bloody short round? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, just unbelievable. And like another shout out. I mean, if this doesn't win best editing at, yes. yeah. at some awards, I, like, I don't know what, like, pack up. You may as well not give out that award anymore because it is. Also, like, is there anything more, is there any screenplay more original than this? Like, and, and like, you know what? As soon as I saw, sorry, this is just going to be, if you haven't seen this, this won't make any sense. As soon as I saw those awards sitting on Jamie Lee Curtis's desk that were, like, clearly shaped like a butt plug. I was like, that's going to come up again. (laughs) Um, But, like, I just, like, I can't fathom how they did some of these shots. It's, it's like, two characters just performing, performing, and, like, the set is changing. It's just incredible. Yeah, blew my mind. These are the guys who directed Swiss Army Man a few years ago. I don't know if you saw that one with Daniel Radcliffe. I I didn't. I didn't. So that was a really weird movie where Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano were stuck on an island. Um, Paul Dano is alive and hallucinating and Daniel Radcliffe is dead and he plays a talking corpse who farts across the island as a mode of transportation. Um, And that was a wonderful movie, but very, very strange. And I remember being – like when they – they announced this movie came. I'm like, well, this is going to be a weird film. Like the steps they've taken to get from that film to this film, um, this movie should be should clean up in award season. Like it really should. Like Michelle Yeoh, as you mentioned, like the best, like not only is it one of her best performances, but like what a gift to an actor to be able mm. to be like, hey, and she she said it in interviews. She's like, I've never been able to really like. I've always been like the martial artist or the mum or the sister, but I haven't been able to really kind of do too many things. And then, you know, she gets this script, like what a gift. Um, and that's what I was saying before about how like COVID has, you know, given us some, like th- this film wouldn't have been financed before COVID. Like no one would have taken their chance on this movie. It's so strange. Um, and this is the one I was talking about where I said my brother-in-law, David, this was the film I was talking about. Um, mm. I would recommend it. He was like, oh, I don't know if I like it. Cause it's just, there's a lot going on. Um, but no, it's beautiful. It, it's it's like in a world where we've got a couple of multiverse films and we're going to get a few more, like this is the standout multiverse film. I agree. And I think at, like at the heart of the film is that relationship between her and her daughter, which yes, that scene in the, in the car park at the end was like heart, well, very heart, not heartbreaking, but very touching, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's such a wonderful movie. Um, it's, and, on my, uh, it's on my list a little bit higher. I'll talk about it. I won't have to say too much more when it comes up, but yeah. I'll, I'll save it till then. And I never thought I'd find it interesting to just watch two rocks sitting next to each other. But yeah, yeah, it was really engaging. There's like there's a two or three minute stretch of this film where two rocks are just on the screen, and yeah. it's really very very engaging. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a great flick. Um, and for the longest time. It was my, I thought it was my number one film of the year. Um, it, it isn't that high, I'll, I'll say that. Um, but I, I just loved how creative it was. But part of my list has been also rewatchability. And I, I don't see myself rewatching this one as much as the other ones. Mm. It is because it's a bit long, but it's, it's so wonderful. Perfect. All righty, my friend. Over to you. So, my number seven, I've cheated. 
Um, I'm just gonna put it right out there um, because there was a wonderful horror film that kind of came out of nowhere this year, or, sorry, last year. Um, and it was uh, from a director who in the past I haven't liked a lot, but I, I've grown to appreciate his work a lot more. Um, but basically he was like, we're gonna ta- bring, we're gonna take back the slasher. He was un- he was unhappy with the way slasher films have been made for the last few years. So he wanted to kind of go back and honor their roots, make them fun, but also super violent, but also give them some some heart and some story and likable characters. Um, so this is a film by Ty West and the movie is called X. And it um, start, it's about a group of young actors and actresses who want to shoot a porn film at a farm. And they just happen to land on the farm uh, that's run by like a couple of killers, like kind of maniacs, basically. The reason, I'll stop you right there. Yeah? I'm already in. The reason this is a cheat is because I'm also putting the film Pearl on my list at number seven. Because while they made this film, in secret, the lead actress and the director wrote a second script just as a background story for one of the characters and then produced a second film, which is a companion piece to this one. What? So basically, That's crazy. He, so they both came out last year, a few months apart. X is a, is a story set in the 70s. Pearl is set 50 years before. It's the origin of the old woman who's the killer in X and how she kind of got to be where she was. Um, I finally watched Pearl last night. I had to wait for a physical media delivery because we didn't get it in cinemas or streaming yet. Um, and whilst... It's a great film. It's more of a companion piece, so that's why I'm putting them together. Um, so I have to talk about two films. But so, yeah, X is a, is a slasher film. It's a group of um, young actors and actresses who want to um, shoot a porno. It's Mia Goth, who people would have seen in Cure for Wellness. Um, Kid Cudi, who, who's a rapper, I believe. Um, Brittany Snow, who's been in a bunch of stuff forever, but um, I think this is her. She's done a couple of horrors. Um, and Jenna Ortega, who's had maybe one of the biggest years of any actress in 2022. Um, Cause she was also in scream and in Wednesday. Um, but yeah, so it's a very like sexy movie to begin with. Cause you've got all these beautiful people just getting naked half the time. And then it becomes this very kind of weird, obscure, like almost it feels very kind of Texas chainsaw massacre, but not as brutal or as nasty. Uh, this violent film. Just looking at the cast list, and there's a gentleman called Stephen Uri, Uri, Ure is his surname. Yeah, Ure. and he, if he's not one of the killers, does he play oh, How? Does he play Howard? He does play Howard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the killers, and they put him in a bunch of old makeup, so he looks even creepier in the movie. <laughs> um, it's just a really fun slasher. Like you get to spend a lot of time with the characters before they get killed, so you really do get to warm up to them, um, and then. Pearl, which is set in 1918, is the old woman, but also played by Mia Goth. So Mia Goth not only plays the lead porn star, but then she also plays the killer in the film. And then they made an origin film where she gets to play the the old woman as her own age, basically. Um, And people have kind of referred to Pearl as Joker for women um, because it's it's kind of a one bad day story as well, but also just a woman who's constantly oppressed and then just loses it, starts killing people. Um, and it's funny because the, the first movie, X, is shot very grainy, very, it feels very much like a 1970s film. Like it, like some of the shots, you know, you could pull out of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. Um, and then Pearl, because it's set in the 19, early 1900s, it's like technicolor. It's really bright and vibrant and cheery. And, you know, you just expect to hear like Mr. Sandman playing at some point. Like <laughs> yeah. it's the complete polar opposite. And there's a third one coming. Like it was never meant to be a trilogy, but now they're doing more because 
Ty West and uh, Mia Goth have had so much fun collaborating. They're going to do one more film um, as a sequel to X, so a third film set in the 80s. Um, but they're just really fun, like really fun. Like they're, they're scary and they're, and they're a bit gnarly at times, but they're really enjoyable, which has not been the focus of a lot of horror movies lately. Like some – like a lot – because like the last – decade or so they're like no no we need to really scare you we need to really gross you out and this film kind of feels like it's going back to the original intention of slashes like hey we're gonna gross you out a little bit and scare you you're gonna have fun while it's happening and that's what these films really are um so i loved x and and pearl um yeah nice one and uh, i hope that kickstart a bit of a trend because it's so um like such an awesome idea to like have like companion films yeah you know, I've been thinking that for a while. Like, how great would it be to, to like, create a piece of content, whether it's a TV show or a movie, and then have a completely different thing mm. come out. But it does, it like, you find out at the end that, like, ties in or continues the story or something like that. It's, like, kind of like a new frontier of, of storytelling, isn't it? Well, that's kind of what Split was just 20 years later. You know, when Split, when we got to the end, I was like, oh, my God, this is a sequel to Unbreakable. Mm. Like, what a great idea. Like, but I like that this was done in the same year and the second one was done. It was, like, obviously, it wasn't in secret because, like, the studio had to fund it and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it kind of, like, when X came out in theaters in, in the States, um, at the end of the credits, there was a trailer for Pearl and people were like, wait, there's another one? <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Um, they're both really, really wonderful films. And again, just like they're independent films. So it's been a big year for independent films and, and horror, as I mentioned. And these two have been on a lot of people's lips. They're um, really great. A very good bait. And very sneaky, might I say, getting an extra film in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to figure out how I was going to rank them. And I was like, ah, I'm going to put them together. There's no um, rules in this podcast, so we're all good. All right. Number six. Number six. Now, sometimes you make a life decision and it makes you really question who you've become. And that's what my number six is like, has got me questioning because my number six is a Michael Bay film. Interesting. Uh, it's a thrill ride quite literally called ambulance starring Jake Gyllenhaal. I've seen a lot. I don't know anything about the film, but I've seen it pop up a lot. Like people, like you got like all these like big physical media releases, like people were celebrating this movie. So first thing I want to say is do not take this film seriously. It is just like it is just there to be like a thrill ride. Um, it's basically a cross between like Heat and a movie that I can't think of. That's like set in like a it's like a chase movie. It's probably the probably the best chase movie I've seen since um, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh wow! So essentially, it, there's very little preamble. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal and his brother who I can't quite remember his name at, at this point in time, um, rob a bank with, with their crew. It goes badly and they end up hijacking an ambulance. And then the rest of the film is them on the run with uh, a paramedic in the back treating someone who's got a gunshot wound. Um, <laughs> and I got to say, Michael Bay has really outdone himself. There's obviously, I don't know if he got a drone for Christmas or something like that. <laughs> But there is so many drone shots in this, and it's really annoyingly cool. Like you'll have um, so rather than I guess your traditional in a in a chase movie, like your helicopter shots that show the perspective of where things are. He's got a drone that's like flying through the traffic and kind of. So oh, that's cool. 
there's actually some real like novel things in there that I hadn't really seen before. Um, and you know, Jake Gyllenhaal's hamming it up. He is going for it big time. Um, like he's just playing this like theatrical villain, like bank robber. Uh, I don't know if you just want like an action packed two hours of fun. That's what I would, that's what ambulance is. And that's why uh, I think when I was putting my list together, I'm like, yeah, I, there's probably some films that maybe had a bit more depth or will stick with me longer, but I just had a great time watching this film. That's what matters. Like, that's what matters. And like, like you sold me, like when you said there was a drone going through traffic, I'm like, I've never seen that before either. Like, that's really, like, that's really cool. And Michael Bay, like, he gets a lot of flack because he makes movies for 14 year old boys, but someone has to. Yeah, that's you know what right. I mean? Like, um, and also like Pain and Gain, he directed. I really like that. Bad Boys Two, fantastic. Like, it's not like mm. he's not like he makes he's made only bad films. And that, again, like there are no bad films. Just a lot of his films aren't for me. But there's a couple of good ones in there as well. Yeah, and this just felt like a lot tighter, a lot smaller. I mean, there's a lot of crashes. I can't imagine that the the budget was small for this movie, but it's not bloated at all. It's you know, you could count count the characters who have speaking parts on one hand, really. Um, it's got a good cast. Like Jake Gyllenhaal, you mentioned Yahya Abdul-Mateen, who's fantastic. Garrett Dillahunt, Isaac, uh, Isaac Gonzalez. Like, that, those are all great actors. And like one dog. Yeah. I was like, moving with a dog in it. There's almost something that happens to the dog, absolutely. Um, no, he just farts. $40 million budget. That is low for Michael Bay. Mm. That is a low budget Michael Bay film. That's basically an independent film for him. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, there's still some Michael Bay flares. Like the text, like the, the opening credits that, that kind of flash across the screen were like, I was like, can't you just update your style and font from like 1999, <laughs> man? But, uh, Didn't yeah, do the rock as well as the rock is? Don't know. I feel like it is. He did Armageddon. Mm. Armageddon out of here. <laughs> it was the show was going on too long without a terrible joke, so I uh, I obliged. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's not too much more I can say about Ambulance. Go check it out. It's really fun. It sounds fun. Like you sold me on it. Like that drone stuff sounds amazing. Um, I, I'm always keen to see, that, see something I haven't seen before. So. Um. That must mean it's it's my turn again. Uh, this is the last horror film on my list. Um, I mean, I could have done all horror films. There were so many good ones this year, um, but this one was great because it it had a real it had a real Silence of the Lambs feel to it. So it wasn't just straight up scary. It was a um, it had a lot of emotion in it. Like it made me cry, um, which I, I love when horror does that. I mean, I love crying in films anyway, but horror, like if you make me cry in a horror film, like you're doing well because you, you're doing some great character work. Uh, it was directed by Scott Derrickson, who previously did the first Doctor Strange film and Sinister. Um, and this film is called The Black Phone. Um, stars Ethan Hawke as the villain, as, as a child abductor. I think it's in the 70s, if I'm correctly. Um, and basically, yeah, there's this guy who dresses up in a creepy mask and he drives around a van with black balloons and he abducts children and they and and, and murders them. Um, and then our our titular character, who's not really uh, much, he's not much of a cool kid. He's a bit of a bit of a dweeb. He gets abducted, and during this time, his sister starts to have visions and starts to trying to communicate to him through a phone in um, the basement where he's locked away. Um, what I loved about it is it isn't scary 
like it's scary in as much as like the real world version of this is very scary child abduction but it's like scott derrickson his horror work can be very full-on like sinister is one of the scariest films i've ever seen in my life this film scales it back a bit and goes into more of a thriller more of a kind of um mystery detective story in a bit of a way as well and the children in this film are fantastic there's one the girl i can't remember her name the sister she must be about eight years old and maybe the best young actress i've seen in a ever since um, dakota fanning in man on fire i haven't seen man on fire so oh my god i know um her name is madeline mcgraw um and she is brilliant the only girl, maybe as maybe young actress as good as her or better, is the girl um, who played young, young Tonya Harding in *I Tonya*, who was also the Ghostbusters girl. She's great as well. Um, there's not much, not much more to say about it without like giving too much away. But basically, like for a big part of the film, it's just Ethan Hawke in a room with a child and like him wearing this creepy mask and doing creepy voices and stuff. But it's really suspenseful. Uh, as I said, it's really emotional because of what it's about about child abduction stuff. Um, but like, again, like it's a horror movie trying to do more than just be a horror film. And that's what all the horror films on my list this year have been like, not satisfied with just doing the bare minimum, trying to go beyond and bring something different to the, to the story. Um, and I guess like invite different audience feel like, Hey, horror isn't what you think it is. There's a lot more we can do here. Um, it's, it's brilliant. Like I watched it the same day I watched Black Adam. I literally like watched this and then I went to the Sims and watched Black Adam and I was like, oh, Black Adam was fun, but man, I can't stop thinking about Black Phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It was, I was really um, disappointing. This is one of the films of uh, that I like wasn't able to get to this year, but I really wanted to, to see this one and, and now even more so. I, think well, I won't say, I won't say anything it. else. I won't spoil it for you. So um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Ethan Hawke fan. Um, yeah, he's and great. I, just think like he's continuing to show i don't i think he's underrated uh, as his his range and his ability i think he's like yeah i agree maybe he gets typecast into like richard linklater films <laughs> <laughs> basically where he just plays like a middle-aged man like um and he looked really cra- and it, to be honest this one looked like it was going to be terrifying yeah, I was worried when I saw the. Uh, this is one of the few ones I did watch the trailer for, um, and I was like, "Oh, this might be, this might be really scary." And it's not like in terms of like as, as far as a horror film goes and like making you jump. Like, uh, it's not on my list, but this, I'll tell you about the scariest horror film I watched this year later. Um, it's in my honorable mentions. It's only not on my list because I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Um, because it was, it was, I was like, you know, what? I got scared enough. I don't need to go back. Um, but yeah, no, it's very it's very watchable. Like if it wasn't for the subject matter, I think Tina could watch it quite easily. But I know now since becoming a mother, she struggles with stuff where children get put in danger. Um, that's you, you get soft when you become a parent, man. Like, like there's certain films I can't watch the same way I used to. Or I can't watch it all. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's really great. There are look, there are a couple of creepy bits. I won't lie, there are a couple of jump scares. But it's um, even if you're not into horror, I think it's pretty pretty watchable. Um, and just really well done. Perfect, mate. Added, to, it's added officially added to my list. Done. Nice one. We you're, are halfway um, through our lists. You're like my horror whisperer. That's it. I'm the journeyman. I'll go through and watch all of them, and then I'll let you know what you can check out. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've got a theory, which is like, you know, when you've had such a sheltered upbringing as you know you and I kind of have you kind of like 
like the thrill I get from horror is just seeing this like this side of thing that you've like it is shocking, you know, when you see those films that are like scary or violent or um a bit gruesome. It's kind of like that's how I get my kicks that I don't actually have in my real life, which is very vanilla. Yeah, well, it's the whole idea of a controlled thrill, isn't it? A controlled scare. Mm. We're like, well, I don't want to really experience anything like this, but like to just have a bit of a controlled experience. But I, yeah. I, I was on, as I said, I was on that podcast, that horror podcast earlier this week. And I, even during Halloween, we were doing a Halloween episode, I was very open about it. I don't like being scared. Mm. Like, I don't like feeling scared, but I do like watching horror films. It's a weird paradox um where more often than not i don't find very many things scary anyway so that's quite good but when i do like this movie um well i'll just say it we can talk about it later if you want to go into more detail but smile um i watched smile and that is the scariest film i watched in 2022 like it mm-hmm. it was one of those ones where i couldn't keep my eyes on the screen the entire time i had to have like my phone up or i had to just kind of look away and just like i didn't cover my eyes anymore i just do i did the adult version of that which is looking at something distracting um when it, it used a lot of jump scares but we can talk about that one more later but that one yeah very very scary and i didn't like the way i felt during most of it but i got through it yeah it's uh, i haven't actually seen smile either but there's a moment in horror films where it's generally when you're getting to that final act they're always like creeping through a dark house and, yeah, I have and to that really literally like... happens at the end of this film <laughs> like yeah, yeah. And it's like I have to I have to mentally prepare myself and be like, all right, the next 20 minutes, you're going to be uncomfortable, you know? Well, Smile was really unfair because it, it did jump scares in daylight as well. Um, and mm. some pretty weird ones, but yeah. Uh, all right. Halfway through, we... what is your, num- num- your numero five? Number five was a film released straight to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, the cast, unbelievable. Director, unbelievable. I've never heard anyone talk about this film except for me. <laughs> it's called Spiderhead. Okay, I haven't heard of this one, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. So it was actually, when I tell you the names in this film, you'll be shocked that that it's um, that, that people aren't talking about it. It was directed by Joseph Kaczynski, same director from Top Gun 2. And I have heard of this one. The two bit, stars yeah. are our very own Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller. I yeah, had, Journey Smollett. It's got some, some more people in it, yeah. Yeah. I had – this is a, another one I'd file alongside ambulances. You're like, this is just so entertaining. Not sure I need to revisit it. There's not much – not a whole lot of substance to it, but I just had a great time. Um, so the premise is that uh, Chris Hemsworth plays a, a doctor who runs this facility on an island and uh, people who have been convicted of crimes have the choice of – they, they can either go to prison or they can volunteer at this medical facility for, um, for trial um, drugs and, and things like that. And so Chris Hemsworth is trialing these drugs that control people's behaviour. And so uh, he has Miles Teller and like a female um, prisoner in, in, a, in a room and that he sort of... Um, he gives them both this certain drug and then they can't help it. They sort of have sex and, or, or there's one where someone gets really violent. Um, and it's basically about Miles Teller's search for redemption and coming to grips with, with the crime he did to be in there. And then also like escaping from this facility. 
Um, it's weirdly funny because that sounds like quite a serious, um, serious premise, but it's like quite funny. Chris Hemsworth, it's really nice to see him do some other stuff. Um, mm. He's obviously Thor. He obviously does it very well. But I'm not too sure I'd, I've really seen anything with him in it that I'd really loved before. Yeah. Um, I would agree. Is, I would agree with that, yeah. This is just something where he's absolutely just like just going for it. You can tell he's having a lot of fun um, and he's getting to play this like he's quite a bombastic character. Um, so would definitely recommend. It's short. It's sweet. It's very lean. There's, I, I think you can tell it was a COVID movie yeah. filmed in filmed in COVID where uh, you could tell actors were acting in bubbles, you know, like the same yeah. two people are always in the same scenes together. Um, and I think that it, it sort of suits that uh, style. So, nice yeah, one. excellent film. Definitely recommend. And on Netflix. So if you've got an account, you can watch it anytime. Good stuff. Um, you've got a good couple of action ones in there that I'm, I'm keen to check out now. I'm really keen to check out Ambulance. You've really sold me on that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Look, it would not be an end-of-year list for me without a Marvel film. So let's go with the film that I was looking forward to the least um, and I was, had no idea what they were going to do with this film and it ended up being one of my favourite movies of the year and uh, that's Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, did you get a chance to see it yet? Regretfully, I missed it in cinemas and it hasn't come on to Disney Plus yet. So, no, I think unfortunately it's, not. I think it's out 1st of Feb for Disney Plus. Um, oh, sorry, what's going on? There, cool. Sorry, Tina was just messaging me because she's at rehearsals. Um, I went sort of my birthday, went sort of in gold class, had the cinema basically to myself, um, and I loved it. I like it more than the first Black Panther film. Um, I yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know that a lot of people can't see. My eyes just widened in, in exclamation. And here's the I was, I was talking about, and I said, you know, obviously, you know, the passing of. Um, Chadwick Boseman is horrible and tragic, and he died way too young. Um, but if you just take, if you put that aside and just focus on the story, I just think that T'Challa was kind of a boring character in his own film. In Civil War, I thought he was very interesting, and in the Avengers films, he was quite interesting. But in in the first Black Panther, like, because he was so regal and so um, dutiful, he never really had any anything to work up against. Like he never had any flaws. And so, like, he was kind of the least interesting part of that movie. Um, but in this, you've got so many characters processing trauma. You've got so many people looking to take over the mantle of Black Panther. You've got this new outsider uh, potential villain in, in Namor and, and the Atlanteans. Uh, actually, they're not Atlanteans in this. They're from somewhere else. I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's really fascinating. Like, Shuri becomes, like, she's revenge-driven, but she doesn't know she doesn't have anyone to take her revenge out on because no one killed T'Challa. Like, do you want me to spoil? Like, it's not really a spoiler. He dies of a disease. Like, that's what happens in the mm-hmm. movie. I think mm-hmm. that was the most respectful way they, they could do it. He dies of a disease. Um, and so she's holding on to this rage and this sadness and this trauma, and she doesn't know how to move past it. And she's got no one to pin it on, so she just kind of buries herself in her work, um, which is a really fascinating starting point for a character you know um it's a very female-led movie which i loved um because i love um when we get to see oh you still there yep oh your camera just dropped for a second um when we i love getting to see um women as superheroes but sometimes we run the risk of i guess kind of forcing it 
Um, which, you know, I, I love Captain Marvel, but there are a couple of things in there that are a bit on the nose. Um, but this didn't feel like everything felt organic and natural. Like every character's motivation made sense based on our previous experiences with them. Like Shuri is brilliant in it. Queen Ramonda is fantastic. Okoye is great. Like you've just got um, Ironheart, who's the new character introduced. I know a few people had a problem with her, but I loved her in it. I thought she was really fun. Um, Martin Freeman gets to do some really fun work in this as well because he's back as Everett Ross. Um, the CG has improved a lot since the first Black Panther. I know people criticize the CG in that film, but the CGI is a lot better in this one. Um, the flick made me cry like a dozen times. I, I reckon I was in tears like three or four times in the movie. Well, I guess that's what a dozen, but three or four times easily. Um, it was it was great. It was really, really, really well done. I, I could not believe how much I enjoyed this one because I wasn't looking forward to it. I was like, how do you do Black Panther without Black Panther? Um, and they they showed me how you do that movie. Um, it, it was it was wonderful. Yeah, I I was really wondering, like, and it's just like so tragic, really, that you know, such a you know, well, tragic when anyone passes away, obviously, but you know, like such a massive part of the MCU and uh, obviously carrying a franchise. Like, how do you how do you write that in mm. in a respectful way that's like. You know, but but at the same time, you've you've got to keep like that film and franchise going, and that's like uh, you're not the first person I've heard who said it was like really really respectful and like kind of really touching the way they did that. And I think I heard that the maybe the part of the first part of the film is sort of um, they have like a, a funeral for him, yeah. which kind of like felt like it was for the for the fans to say goodbye as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really well done. It, um, I know some people didn't like it, and quite a few people kind of felt like it, it missed the mark. But I, I don't. I think it was really well done. I think it, even though it's not my favorite Marvel film of the year, I think it probably was the best Marvel film of the year. Um, so there is another one coming up shortly, which is a little bit higher for me. Um, but I, I just thought it was so well done. Like it's maybe a touch too long. Like I didn't feel like it dragged. But if I look back at it, I can probably cut a couple of things. Um, and it did a great job of setting up a few more things as well without making it the focus. Like it felt like, remember when you watch those early Marvel films and they're like little Easter eggs, but it clearly it was, wasn't like trying to do major world building. It was more like, Hey, here's a little bit of a hint to what may come. And that's kind of what they did in this with a couple of things. Like with the exception of Ironheart, who's obviously getting her own show like that obviously was quite on the nose, but it wasn't like reference, 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 reference. It was like, there was that, there was that Ironheart character. And there's one more character who's going to show up in a couple of movies later on. Um, if you've been paying attention to, to phase four, um, but it never felt like it took away from the, um, from the story. And um, I, I loved Shuri because she was so, yeah, like she is a very interesting character throughout the film. Um, she did like, and yeah, towards the end of the film, she makes some very interesting decisions as well, which I really liked. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can't praise it enough. It was really good. Um, and uh, people should definitely check it out. If they yeah. haven't already. Um, and so is there much like, is there much that contribution to the wider phase four storyline at all, or is it sort of very self-contained? There's no multiversal stuff. Um, there's, yeah, there's, there's obviously Ironheart who's going to have her own show, but she's going to, well, I think she's going to be part of the young Avengers. Like that's what it feels like this 
like what phase four has really been doing has been doing a couple of things. It's been building the multiverse or kind of opening us up to what the idea of the multiverse. And it's been building a new roster of Avengers. We get a lot of young versions or, or different counterparts and Ironheart looks like she'll kind of step in as the new Iron Man. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, but then the other thing is we've been introduced some, some new bad characters, you know, and how we, you know, we've been talking about the Thunderbolts. That's a movie that's been announced already. So it kind of feels like we're building towards that as well. Um, but it doesn't spend too much time focused on that. It's very much a Black Panther film. Um, and it doesn't, yeah, it, it doesn't like divert the storyline to kind of focus on new, you know, world building too much. Um, it's good. It, it's, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I was, again, like, just like with Maverick, I was shocked how much I enjoyed it because it was one of the one of the films I wasn't looking. I, I was I only was really looking forward to one Marvel film last year. I wasn't really looking forward to Thor or to Black Panther. I, I liked them both quite a bit, um, but I wasn't really looking forward to them. And um, but yeah, Black Panther really um, really impressed me. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I was disappointed that I that I wasn't able to see that in cinemas. So I'm hanging for it to be released uh, on their streaming platform because yeah. I really enjoyed the first one. And yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah, hopefully you'll dig it. Hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Um, I, but I, again, I went in with low expectations, so that might, might have helped as well. But no, it was great. Excellent. Well, we're getting to the pointy end now. I was going to say the pointy end. Yeah, we're heading towards the uh, to the end. So my number four is uh, another film that was released straight to Netflix. Uh, it was an Australian film directed by a gentleman named Thomas Wright, uh, starring Joel Edgerton. And mm-hmm. Sean Harris, Sean Harris, people might know as the villain from the last couple of Mission Impossible films. Uh, it was called The Stranger, uh, and The Stranger is actually based on a on an actual criminal event that happened in uh, in Queensland um, in the early two thousands. So, if there's any true crime kind of buffs out there, you may be familiar with with what actually happened. But it's a a really crazy interesting bit of police work that that they've turned into a movie and so it's a bit grim subject matter but uh a a young boy is is um abducted uh while trying to catch a bus in queensland and um the police are investigating who did it and they have a lead a suspect in mind, uh, and the suspect is played by Sean Harris, playing a very creepy. Uh, yeah, I've uh, seen him in stuff before. Like he's a creepy looking dude. <laughs> yeah, and um, and as I said, this police work is is genius. And so what they do is they basically plant uh, an undercover police officer on his flight back to Perth or back to Western Australia, and they basically recruit this this suspect into a fictionalized criminal gang um sort of getting doing some like my just like minor cry uh, i don't know if they he actually does crimes but anyway like they basically they build this world around him um and basically get him build up the trust between him and and joel edgerton and then they basically say look we've got this big job but there's a bit of heat on you for this crime um, in Queensland. Did you do it? And he ends up um, basically divulging to these undercover police officers that he that he did do this crime. So that's a real like a bridge um, <laughs> synopsis there. But um, the performances are outstanding. It's very very um, 
it's very dark. It's very moody, uh, and it's very Australian. I don't know. I don't know how to describe what I mean by that. But for people out there who have seen really great Australian films, you'll know what I mean. It's like mm. the, the, what we can do very well that no one else, that other people can't do. I think it's a combination of the landscape, the culture, like. It's yeah, it's it's fantastic. We definitely recommend it. It's not for it's it's not that that the funniest film you'll see this year. It's quite dark and moody, but um, yeah, really fantastic performances. No, nice one. Again, I'm not a huge rap for Australian films, which I know is controversial as an Australian movie podcaster. Um, I just feel like a lot of the time we don't get the the, the funding and and resources that we deserve for an industry. Um, but um, I'm, always, I'm always ready to be impressed, and that that sounds great. Sounds really good. Yeah, I think um, it's it's a really good point you make, and I also can sometimes, again, it feels bad to say. I can always, I, sometimes I cringe at our efforts at filmmaking, but I think when it's when we get it right, there's. I, I mean, again, I, I don't know if many people saw the dry, uh, which is now I think a couple of years old. Um, I hope it's not it didn't come out last year because otherwise it should be on my list. But it's a <laughs> another Aussie crime film starring Eric Banner. And again, when we get it right, I think we can do, we can do films up there, if not better than the rest of the world. But I think there's areas where we could definitely improve and that's funding (laughs) creative ideas. Yeah, exactly. It's not even like we need a lot of money, but it's just like give them equipment so it doesn't look as shot on home video. Because a lot of our... Like, you know, it's been getting better. Like, there's a good movie a few years back, Hounds of Love, with Stephen Curry. Like, that was quite good. It was very dark. Um, the Loved Ones, I stand by, is one of the best Australian films of all time. That's also a really creepy one. Um, there's some good stuff in there, but a lot of the time I just cr- – I, as more I cringe at the technical side of things, I'm like, ah, mm. this should look should, – this shouldn't look like Home and Away. Like, it yeah. should look like a movie. Um, but anyway, that's that's a whole other thing. Um Nice one. That sounds cool. I, I again, you you convinced me with a couple of these ones. They all sound pretty good. Uh, my number four. Uh, we've already spoken about it. it's everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, there's not too much to add to it, um, but the performances are fantastic. It's just so creative. Like it's the most creative movie of the last ten years, maybe. I can't yeah. think that comes close to like to what this I, movie is. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like uh, off the top of my head. Would you say maybe like Mad Max Fury Road is like the last, like it's probably the last film I saw where I'm just like, what am I even watching? You know, like <laughs> it's just, just like such creative ideas. And um, yeah. I, I can't tell you the last film. There's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Mm. Um, and I always say like, if you can't make a good film, then just show me something I haven't seen before. And this movie manages to do both those things. Like it's made a they made a brilliant film, but also they're showing me a bunch of things I've never seen before. Um, it's wonderful. It's it's a really great flick. But we, we talked about it quite a bit before, so I won't I won't harp on about it. But everything everywhere all at once. Um, people need to get on that and, and get on it quickly because it's uh it, like this film needs to clean up at, in award season. I said it already, but like there's nothing there's nothing like this movie out there. I'll be. I'll be really annoyed. I, I, I must say, I don't know if this is a hot take for a movie podcast, but I stopped really caring about like the Oscars when I moved out of my 20s. I used to put a lot of stock in it. I used to watch it. 
I would yeah. say if it took the day off work, but I think just through my I ha- 20s. I used I- to. I say I haven't watched the Oscars properly in since I moved since I moved house. So since I bought my place. So yeah. So it's like you know. I I think what what more likely is that through my twenties I was studying, and so I I might find myself free on a Monday when it airs in Australia because it's usually Sunday night in the States. And um, but like I haven't cared because like if I see with a film like everything everywhere all at once um you know if that loses out to like some stuffy dialogue heavy drama about like i don't know just like the kind of film that they traditionally would give a best picture to it's just like i think the reason i stopped really watching them and caring about them putting stock in them is because it's it's so not representative of You know, whenever I name my top five films of the year, rarely are any of them in the best picture nominees. And it's just like, it just doesn't represent, I think, what a lot of people like about movies. Well, I remember, I, I can tell you, the last, time, the last one I watched was when they gave La La Land the award instead of Moonlight by mistake. That's the last one. Mm. I was going to watch the year after and then Tony Collette wasn't nominated for Hereditary. And I was like, well, then people haven't been paying attention. Mm. Because no one gave a better performance to Tony Collette that year, like, and that's not a diss on anyone else. Like that was a gut wrenching transformation. Like, like that was fear and trauma. I, I know I've used the word trauma a lot in this episode, but it's it's hard to do. It was mm. fear and trauma like encapsulated perfectly. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, but the year Avatar, the first one came out, they extended the Best Picture category from five nominations to ten nominations, so they could get some popular movies in there as well. And now they just load them up with the 10 award ones again, like they yeah. just, they fall back into their old habits. So you're right. And like, like, and like sorry to cut you off there, but no, you're like right. An, another thing I was going to say is like in a year where like Avengers Endgame, like the feat. Now I know that's not, not everyone cares about comic book films and, and that's completely fine. Mm. Um, and, and I can't say, like was there an acting performance in that movie better than whoever won it in 2019 or whatever Endgame came out? But like, like how, like the feat of bringing 20, no, maybe not 20 years, 15 years of a cinematic universe together in one glorious like symphony like that. How is that not worth rewarding? Do you know what I mean? I'll I'll go one step further. In 11 years of playing Iron Man, how did Robert Downey Jr. not get one nomination? Yeah, that's right. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that is, and like, I know a lot of people are like, well, he's just kind of playing himself. Like, I don't care. Like, that is one of the greatest, like, characters we've seen on the screen. And we've seen him on screen so many times. Like, he, I'm not saying he should have won, but what, you can't give the guy a nod? Like, yeah. hey, you did a really good job playing this character every time you showed up as him. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they obviously got to give, like, it's just those people, like, you know, Meryl Streep. She got out of bed today, so better give her a nomination. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Meryl, I don't mean to pick on you. Uh, yeah, no, I, I hear it's um, that's the thing. like it's I I get miffed every time I see the nominations come out because like Logan also didn't get a, a script nomination. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like <laughs> Logan didn't like and and Hugh Jackman didn't get a nomination either. Like I, I actually rewatched the original X Men the other night, and I'm going to go through all the X Men films this year because I'm like, you know, I haven't watched them in a while. And the first one, I was like, I was like, this script could have done with a 
a punch up. Like at the time, it was incredible, but now I'm like, oh, there's just there's some bad dialogue in there. And I, you know, I used to think the joke about calling Professor Xavier Wheels at the time was quite funny, but it's probably not. Really, doesn't really hold up. I'm not years. sure if that passes the sniff test in 2000. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you're telling me Logan, like you don't want to give a couple of nods there. Like that script was brilliant, and that performance by Hugh Jackman, like. Yeah, thankfully, we're getting him back as Wolverine now. So, um, but um, yeah, again, it doesn't have to be just about comic book films. But like, genre has never been appreciated. Horror very, very rarely gets recognized, and uh, comic book movies very rarely get recognized. Mm. Um, like, yeah, and it, it is what it is. Um, well, that was a nice little little intermission before we hit the final three. It's just a good. Uh, it's a like a good. Uh lesson or not maybe not lesson but like it's always good for people to know just how like if we don't keep ourselves on track just how long these podcasts would go for i mean we have been going for over two hours (laughs) (laughs) but i think we could spend we could do an hour minimum on the pros and cons of of the academy awards but anyway yeah Uh, but it's funny like because i it's funny because i when you said I don't really care about it anymore, I was like, well, I do. And I was like, well, actually, I don't because I haven't watched it in three years. Like, so clearly, I don't really care. It just doesn't. I think the lesson I learned there, and sorry to go back on. No, that's okay. On, I, I brought off, it back. So. The, lesson, the lesson I learned was that, like, because I think we grew up and, like, if you liked film, then, you know, getting the best actor or getting best direct or whatever, it actually really meant something. But then, the lessons I've learned the hard way <laughs> is that like um, is like it's so unrepresentative that it just feels arbitrary. It's just a group of people selecting like you know who they think. It's a popularity is, contest voted by the one percent. Like yeah, that's right. Like, the people who are in the industry, they're the ones voting. Like yeah, it's kind of like which is fine because otherwise, like you will get like if it was. The general public. I, I, it's just like, what's the metric? There's mm. no metric for that thing. And like, it took me a long time to realize that. It's like, there's no metric. It's just, it is a popularity contest. Um, even if you'll say they voted, you know, what they thought was, the, you know, the, the best performance. Like, well, at the end, that's just an opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> what All is right. your number three? We're in the, Into... the, the final trinity of 2022. Now, this film hasn't appeared in your list yet, so I'm kind of wondering whether you've been coy and it's coming up or it just dropped off your radar and kind of like out of your top ten list, perhaps due to time, because we saw it very early in the year in gold class. Ah, I know what you're talking about. The Batman. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful movie that is. Okay, there we go. And Hanson. <laughs> Uh, my top, my, my third favorite film of the year. Um, big part of that was getting to see it with my very good friend James Chalmers in a cinema, which we hadn't done for quite a while. In Gold uh, Class, a couple of goddamn kings. <laughs> that's right. Finally, getting the respect we deserve. So we meant to go see it with Tina, and then Tina bailed out. She's like, "Oh, I can't really. We shouldn't really get a babysitter. So you go, and I'll I'll see it later." She finally did watch it on my birthday this year. I was like, "Cause she was like, we want to do your birthday." I'm like, "We're watching the Batman because you haven't watched it yet." Um, yeah, so, I mean, so she, we did a we did a whole boys talking bats episode after this <laughs> where we covered it in depth. But I um, referenced that when I was interviewed the other day. I was like, we did yeah. three hour talk about Batman. <laughs> but uh, it was yeah, like I, I must say, when I first saw the trailer for that, I was like, oh, you know, another reboot. You know, what, I can't keep up with 
the various eras that the, you know the Batman uh, films are covering. But I was in from minute one, like that scene when the um, uh, all the sort of petty criminals, uh, <laughs> all the petty criminals are. Um, oh, actually, I should say the first scene is that very very the, creepy scene with. Paul when Dano he steps just, out of the shadow, he's like, oh, he's been standing there for like 20 minutes at least. Yeah. Um, but just that, yeah, the scene when all the petty criminals are like doing their thing in Gotham and then the bat signal goes up and then they all just like melt away into the shadows and you're like, oh, this is a really dark version of Batman. That yeah. All these criminals are so scared of him. And I love Brawler, Batman. I don't think we saw it enough in the Bale films and um, the Ben Affleck film, but... I mean, there was that. There was a warehouse. Scene. The warehouse scene. The warehouse scene was pretty cool, but like the brutality of of Robert Pattinson's Batman when right in the start when he's saving that dude at the train station and he just beats the absolute shit out of those guys. And then the guy he saves goes, "Please don't hurt me!" Like he's he's terrified as well. Uh, just because you mentioned the warehouse scene, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but have you ever seen that edit of the warehouse scene on YouTube where someone cut it? to the music from the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 opening credits. So, like, you know when you know when Groot's dancing to ELO? Uh, so yeah. someone did that, <laughs> and they made that the opening scene for Batman vs. It's It works so well. Like, it changes the scene completely, but so much fun. <laughs> You'll have to put that link up on the, the official Instagram page or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah great performance. I think Pattinson was a great Batman. I hope he gets the chance to do it again. I, I can't remember if they've... They're doing it. They're doing Batman too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Dano, wonderful Riddler. Um, big shoes to fill, obviously, with Jim Carrey's version. <laughs> um, and the the sort of uh, peripheral cast are excellent as well. Zoe Kravitz is really, really great as Catwoman. Um, I really like John Turturro. Um Carmine as Carmine and Colin Farrell, Penguin. Oh my god, I love Colin Farrell. Mm. I'm just putting it out there. I reckon he's fantastic. Um, and also, uh, who played um, Gordon? Oh, Gordon. Oh, um, Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright, excellent. Um, yeah, great flick. It what else really, can you say? It really is. It's a good flick. I might talk about it later. We'll see. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'll leave my number three there. Nice one. Um, my number three, I didn't know it was going to be my number three until last night because it was a film when I saw it. I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, and then when I got it on physical media, I didn't rush back to watch it straight away, but I watched certain scenes from it because I really liked it. Like certain scenes in there. And then in November, I was like, you know, I'm just going to rewatch a bunch of stuff this month. It's my birthday month. I just watch rewatch some stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to this one. And, um, and I really do adore it. I think it, I think it is, even though it's not the best Marvel film this year, it is my favorite. And Stop Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I really, really like it. You know, it's really fun. It's so much fun. Like Benedict Cumberbatch is great. So he's always great as Doctor Strange. Um, I really like the girl playing um, America Chavez. I'm not going to try and pronounce her name, so I'll butcher it, and that's not fair. Uh, I think Elizabeth Olsen really gets to ham it up and, you know, chew the scenery, like, in a really wonderful, like, kind of cartoonish villain way. Um, 
I like that we got John Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic. I like that we got Patrick Stewart back. I like that we got Black Bolt. Like, it's not the best Marvel film ever made. It's probably not in the top 15 at this point because there are so many Marvel films. But it's a lot of fun. And, like, you know, like, No Way Home it just happens to be a brilliant film and a lot of fun as well. But Doctor Strange, after watching it that second time in November, I was like, you know what, this has such a rewatchable it's it's just so easily rewatchable, so easy to put on and just fall into. It's not overly long. It's barely two hours long, which is great. It's got some really weird stuff in there. My biggest complaint is the multiverse could have been a lot madder, but at the same time, like, it's just fun. It's just so much fun, and, like, it's not trying to be anything it isn't. It's not trying to be the next Avengers film. It's not trying to be this dark harrowing tale. It's just like, Hey, this is going to be a wacky adventure. You're going to see some, some monsters, some zombies. Um, and, uh, I, I really liked it. And again, like last night, I couldn't believe it was number three, but I was like, look out of all these films, on my list so far, Dr. Strange is one of the ones I'm going to jump back to. Like, I'm going to go back to it sooner rather than later. Cause it's just a really good time at the movies. Um, could yeah, not believe I, it was going to be number three, but I, I just love it so much. I mean, spoilers for my, Next couple of films, it it didn't make my top ten. As I you mentioned, there were no Marvel films. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did have a good time watching it. I thought like Raimi Stylings like really lent itself to the Marvel film, and like I really enjoyed that. There was like uh, I don't know if you recall the scene when they're escaping down in those tunnels, and it was like just like vintage. It it felt like a Raimi scene. Um, Well, there's a few things like that because there's that. There's the whole. like tentacle monster climbing the building at the start. Mm. And then when he possesses all the souls and turns them into like wings and they're all like yeah. talking at him, like that is such a Raimi thing to do. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, I, um, the one thing I kind of like, I wasn't sure heading out of that film is just where it leaves Scarlet Witch, you know, like she's coming back. To... She's coming back. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't they like? What? Like she's a young actress. Like she doesn't cost as much as you know Robert Downey Jr. Like why wouldn't you? you no, know, there's more stories to tell there. So. Yeah, hard to redeem that though. Yeah, but that's fine. Like that's cool. Like when you bring in the X Men, like maybe you can tie in her, you know, her relationship with Magneto and stuff. Mm. Like there's uh, there's so many things you can do with it. Um, yeah, look, I that that was the thing. I think the biggest thing, the biggest problem I had with the film when I walked away from the first time, even though I really did enjoy it in cinemas, was I was so disappointed by the world building and I've got to stop treating Marvel films like that. They need to be standalone movies first and then anything they add on top of that is, you know, is ice cream, you know, like anything anything else is a bonus. Um yeah. which is why I liked Wakanda Forever so much because I was like, you know, this is a really good standalone film. It just happened and there's a little bit of world building. Um like we it's unlikely we'll ever get Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic again and that's actually kind of fine. Like that, it is more than fine. It doesn't matter. Like it's going to affect my life one way or another. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? It was, it was, it was really cool to see that. Like, um, to see, well, I can't remember the actress's name. Like Peggy Carter back as like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, is she Captain? Haley Atwell. She's Captain Carter. Captain Carter. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, Johnny Krasinski as um, Johnny Krasinski. as Mr. <laughs> as. Captain Fantastic, but like it was such a thrill to see um, Patrick Stewart back. But like it was also like, is a band that I found it funny. Like they brought him back was, to kill him. Yeah, it was like that whole group was brought back, and it was like such a baller thing. And then they all just died. 
Um, I liked it. I, I liked that it because a it's set up first of all. Um, it set up a couple of things. Like what that that scene is so profound, and there's a lot more to it than people realize. Because a, the Illuminati killed Thanos before he even completed his quest to fill out the gauntlet. Like the Illuminati did that, just the six of them, based on the information we've got there. And Scarlet Witch took them all out. So what could she have done for our Avengers, and how many lives could she have prevented if they just let her on the floor, like just let her out to mm. to play, like? Um, so it goes to show how powerful she is. Um, but also there's going to be an Illuminati at some point in our universe that I imagine. So, um, yeah, I liked, I, 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 I found it very funny as well. Like it's a very amusing scene. Like and that's very Raimi to do something dark with a sense of humor. Um, yeah. So no, I, I loved it. And, um, it is one that I've gone back to and just found it to be such an entertaining ride. And that's what this is all about is having a good time at the movies. So, um, I, I surprised myself, but I, I'm really glad, I'm really happy to put it there. You surprised me. That's what I do. I surprise people. I'm a surprising guy. Um, Who does well, number two work for? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was going to hold off saying it just to make sure you hadn't forgotten, but um, you, you've done me proud. Well done. You're welcome. <laughs> number two works for Tom Cruise. Ah, of course. Top Gun. Not number one for you. I have no idea what your number one is. I did, like, I did toy with this being my number one film. Of course, like, number two is hardly, like, um, a massive downgrade. Uh, It was a film I saw twice at the cinema. I mean, you've already spoken about it, but the practical effects and uh, the the fact that a lot of the the cockpit scenes, they're they're filmed while the the actors are in those planes is just incredible. Like, a lot of people have seen it. I think it's made like 1.4 billion, but if you haven't seen it, definitely go watch it. Um, you touched on that scene when they've been training for this mission, which needs to be done in three minutes flat or something like that. And they're continually failing to do it. And then like that scene when like Tom Cruise is like kicked off the program and then steals a jet. <laughs> yeah. They don't have very good security there, but then, does that test run Uh, that is like like inject that into my veins every morning when i wake up that is just like god's gift to cinema (laughs) (laughs) um and i'd be interested i did want to ask it when you were talking about it because i knew we would have this conversation again but uh you're not a massive tom cruise guy but this is like this probably fourth act i mean you could kind of say like Risky business through to like, like the early nineties is like Act One. You know, you've got like Cocktail, Top Gun, where he's like this young kind of like leading man. But would you then put things like Legend and The Outsiders before that? He kind of had a really early career before he had his his surgery well, as well. Well, that's true, um, but I think like like Legend, I don't think is one of his bigger films, and. Um, well, I guess the outside is he's like one of many. And that whole cast mm. went on to like run Hollywood for the next yeah. like 20 years. <laughs> but, um, you know, you could then say Act 2 is like Mission Impossible through to like Jerry Maguire. Um, then you go into like the Spielberg era in the early 2000s. Minority Report. Yeah, Minority Report, like War of the Worlds, heavily into the sci-fi thing. And now we're in like, 
the last 10 years has just been like the Christopher Macquarie era, era where he purely does like Macquarie films, like the last few Mission Impossibles. Um, well, it's, it's interesting because he's, he's, he's in that phase now where he's doing the dad action roles, which is your Liam Neeson's, Denzel Washington, that sort of thing, except mm. he's not playing the dad yet. He's still playing the leading man. He's still playing the, the young guy. And that's a, a problem that I had with Tom Cruise for the longest time. I was just like, just embrace your age. Like just, but in this, he does like, like he's not, there's no, it's very earnest. Like he's not a hotshot, you know, you know, in training school anymore. Like he's been doing it for a while. He's been discharged and he's moved on and stuff like that. He's done all these different things, but he's still got it, but it's different because like, I feel like he's trying to prove himself for the right reasons in this film. Like previously, he's just trying to show him how young he is, and this is like, no, 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 I'm old, but I got the experience, and like, mm, I, I can mm. do it. And also, he doesn't want to necessarily do it; he's been told he has to do it. Like, yeah, um, that's right. I found him really insanely likable in this because it felt less of like a him proving a point in the same way. Like, he's not just been like, no, I can still be young. This is like, I don't know. This felt like a, a very mature role for him. Um, yes, yeah. yeah. I agree, and it's like one of the first films. That, well, the first film in this vintage stage of his career, where it's like he is reflecting on the fact that he's older, and yeah. it kind of felt like a meta commentary for like like the movie industry at large, where it's like in all these movies, he's like, "I am the one who's going to save the day," and it kind of felt like that was the case with like the theatrical experience after COVID, you know, like, like the first wave of COVID hit and like Tenet was supposed to be like the thing that brought everyone back to cinemas and that didn't really happen. And then it was like, Tom Cruise is like, all right, stand back. <laughs> I'm coming through. Which is funny because Spider-Man definitely did that, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Like this is one, this kind of um, transcended, you know, just like niche audiences, like mm. everyone went back for this one. Um, as uh, I said at the start, like four hours ago, like it brought me and I was never expecting to like this movie. And um, it's a real triumph. It's a, it's an absolute, yeah, it's an absolute triumph of a film. Yeah. I mean, again, uh, we already spoke about it a little earlier on, but Miles um, Teller as well, I thought was fantastic in this. Rooster. Is, it's a pretty big ask to be in a film of this magnitude and bring that sort of like uh, emotional connect. He's sort of the emotional sort of like um, the emotional heartbeat of the film. Obviously he's still dealing with uh, growing up without a dad. Mm. Spoiler alert for the original Top Gun, Goose dies. (laughs) Um, You know, I also really liked it. You know what? Meg Ryan didn't want to come back, you know, like she doesn't uh, need to be Kelly McGillis. Yeah, I know, but like Meg Ryan didn't come back as like his mom. Oh yeah, that's right. Of course. Sorry, you're right. I've only seen the yeah. movie once. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was recently, but I'd forgotten already that Meg Ryan was in it. But you're right. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. Um, and also Jennifer Connelly. I, I think that's the best chemistry I've seen with Tom Cruise for a long time. Normally, he's just like him. Like whenever they play him across as like a romantic, uh, there's like a romantic interest for him. It's just like. I'm not buying this. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it, it's I, that, that's why I've had such a hard time with his movies. Like, I, I and I always said, kind of movie. Like, he's more of a movie star than actor. Like, whenever I watch a Tom Cruise film, normally I'm like, well, that's Tom Cruise. But like this, 
was different. And that's why I say it's such a mature performance. Like it feels like he kind of, I don't know whether he goes into these things with ego. Cause I don't think he does. I don't, I don't think he's really a guy with ego. I think he goes in and wants to make the best film possible and wants to work hard and make sure everyone has a good time. Like I, I think he's genuinely like from what I, from all accounts, like a pretty nice guy and pretty like generous guy, but I feel like he's maybe not been willing to be vulnerable or something in films. He's kind of been like, Oh, I'm just going to put on, like, I'm just going to be the actor guy. Like the, mm. the I'm just, just going to smile and dazzle. But this like felt different. Like it was a true performance. Like I, I do think it's probably the best performance of his career. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, respectfully being like a massive fan, I think like, that period in the nineties, it was just like knocking him out of the park every time. Oh, well, he like, had like born, he did, he did, and, and born on Fourth of July. Yeah. As well. well, definitely the best performance of the last twenty years. Oh. I, I I agree because I think what he's like the Mission Impossible films have become, and I am someone who adores them deeply. I think Fallout is the best Mission Impossible for, uh, film, and I think they're getting better. Like I, I love them so much, but like he just doesn't. He's the the character is established. There's no real emotional beats. It's just it's it's more about like the stunts and yeah. I guess like like yeah than um than him uh, actually having to bring any sort of gravitas to the role. So I, I really agree with you. Yeah, like if you put like Ethan Hunt up against Daniel Craig's Bond, I'm, I'm Bond all the way. I think his Bond, even in the films that aren't as good, his Bond is so much more engaging. But like yeah, I just don't care about Ethan Hunt. Like the, the, I agree with just like it's more it's all about the spectacle, about the razzle dazzle and stuff like that, which is fine. Like that's what movie magic is. Um, but mm. this was different. Like again, I could not believe how much I enjoyed it, and uh, I, I really think he's outdone himself. He's done a great job. It's um, it's a, a solid, solid movie, uh, and we'll probably pick up some awards as well. Hopefully, like you know, um, maybe not. I think Joseph Joseph Kaczynski would be in with a shout for best director. Yeah, I mean, look, there were a lot of, you know, like award films that came out last year as well, so they'll, I'm sure they'll mm. get the attention. But I, I think it deserves some attention. Like, no one was doing, not even James Cameron was shooting a movie the way they were shooting this movie. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Well, might be time for you to tell us who number two works for. Um, so this is a film I've only watched once, and after I watched it, I wasn't sure how I felt about it because whilst I really liked it, um, I didn't love the way it ended. Um, and I'm going to be very careful to spoil it because you haven't seen this one yet, but based on something you've recently watched, you may want to go ahead and watch it. Um, but then a week later, I was talking to Tina about it. And while I was talking about the movie, I started crying. Like I wasn't even watching the movie. I was talking about the movie and I started crying about what happened in the film. Um, and that's when I realized like what a profoundly wonderful movie it was and that's clerks three um it was always likely to be on my top 10 list like a kevin smith film generally has a pretty good shot of being a top 10 film for me because i'm such a huge fan um but also i'd be lying if i wasn't saying that his pedigree has dipped a little last couple of years Mm. like and that's Mm. not me saying he makes bad movies like he's just made different movies like i love tusk but yoga hoses is a bit a bit weak like it's it's i'm not the audience for that film and i like it's a kevin smith film but if he didn't make it i probably would have less affection for it jay yeah. and bob reboot I, I like a lot with but also it's very silly and i'm not a f- huge fan of the first jay and silent bob film i like um his films that are a bit more plot driven and stuff like that so clerks 3 i was i was really nervous about because a his style has changed over the last couple of years but b i love clerks 
and Clerks 2 somehow is a magic trick that became a brilliant sequel. I was like, how are you going to do it again? Like yeah. it's been it's been 15 years since Clerks 2. Your style has changed. Your outlook on life has changed as things happen. Like how are you going to like, – I just feel like this is not going to work. I was really, really nervous. Um, and the plot, what I thought was amusing, I didn't – I was like – I just didn't think there'd be much to it. So basically the plot of Clerks 3 is Randall has a heart attack, um, which Kevin Smith did. And when he realizes that he almost, they almost died, he decides to stop sitting around. And he decides to pursue art and make a movie. And he's going to make a movie set in a convenience store. And it's basically going to be, he's, he's making Clerks is what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. They're very meta. And I was like, look, that's very amusing, but I don't know how it's going to work. Somehow this movie works. Like it's, it's really funny. It's really touching. And then like, it's it's also about getting older, and it's all it's all about like being in your fifties and you know looking back at what life once was, and you know if it has changed, has it changed for the good? If it hasn't changed, is that a bad thing? And also, they do some pretty traumatic stuff in the movie, which I'm not going to talk about um, because it's going to spoil Clerks Two, and Clerks Two is a wonderful movie, um, but it is because of Clerks Three that Clerks Two is now my favorite. Because mm. um, Clerks was my favorite for the longest time, and I, I just watched it a few weeks ago, and it still holds up, still love it. But after Clerks three and the trauma, like again, like it affected me, like it sat with me for ages. I had to message a friend of mine because there's another. I got a friend who loves the Clerks movies as much as I do. And I was like, hey man, like, what did you think? Look, I'm really struggling with this the way this film ended. Like, it's really messing me up a little bit. And he goes, yeah, he goes, it's um, it is it is different, but like I think they made the right choices with the film. And like, I I agree. I just it, yeah, it, it's just very different. And then I had to talk to Tina about it a couple of days. I said, look, I, was like, I said, are you going to watch Clerks 3? And she goes, no. Nah. I was like, the percentage is pretty low. She goes, yeah. I'm like, all right. I was like, I just want to talk to you about it. I said, I'm, I just need to explain this film to you because I need to get it out because it's sitting with me and I feel really weird. So I just need to talk about it. Um, and while I was talking about it, I started crying. Um, and um, like not not bawling my eyes out, but like I was, you know, I, I, had, I welled up and like tears running in my face. I was just getting really emotional about it. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm good now. Like, I'm good. Like, I just needed to talk about that because this franchise has been so important to me. Like, Clerks is a movie that changed my life. So to do what they did in this film, like, really, like, I don't know if you heard that, Luna's ran past barking in the backyard. Um, it, it, yeah, it sat with me and, and yeah, it, it, it messed me up for, for a little while. But, um, it, but it's wonderful. Um, I've got a physical copy coming, I think, in the next week or so. So I'll probably give it another spin then. But, yeah, it's... um. It's really well done. Now, it's probably not going to be on anyone else's top 10 list. Like, is it a – like, I think I appreciate it so much because of the way it affected me and the relationship I had with the other films. But I, I was literally just going to say, I wonder how much of your sort of reaction to this film and how much it's meant to you has stemmed from the fact that, like, these are your friends for well, that's 20 what years it, now. That's what it is. I said to Tana, I said, I no, no disrespect to you, but I've known the, the cast of Clerks long as I've known you. I've been in a relationship with Clerks and I've been in a relationship with you. Um, I hope the way I'm talking about this film hasn't given away too much. Like it, it could, um, but um, it's it's really it's really well executed. Like I couldn't believe kind of like some of the the magic they managed to pull off with this film. Um, it's yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It was almost my number one, but there's there's one other film that like is I, I've got to put higher, mm-hmm. which we'll get to in a moment. Yeah, and as you know, uh, that was another experiment we ran this year where we tried films um, and Clerks was the one and I 
thoroughly enjoyed it. And I've had the second one. You spoke so highly of the second one earlier in the year as well. That that's on my list of things to get to. Um, in fact, it's a good time. It's it's a short watch, like an hour and a half, and it's nowhere near. Like whilst it's still a very dirty film, um, it's the first movie can be, I suppose. Um, interpret as a little bit mean-spirited. I don't think it is. I think it's just very angsty. The second mm. one is not angsty. The second one is a lot of fun. It's really, it's a really positive film, and that's why I think it's my favourite now because it's just such a happy film. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, excellent, mate. Um, and it's like a really nice capstone to the year that, you know, one of the films in your top three is is something you've had a relationship with for this long. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Um, I've got no idea what they're going to do with the franchise moving forward. Like, I don't think there'll be Clerks 4, but like obviously he, all of his films are connected. So I don't know whether, um, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. I'd be interested to see, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a great flick, <clears throat> which means we're now at the, uh, the, tr- the trumpet moment. We're at the, the pinnacle. We're at our number one films of the year. The pointiest have, of pointies. I have no idea what yours is because after you said the Batman and you said Top Gun Maverick, I, I'm at, I'm out of sticks. I'm out of Mine? carrots, as Jan would say. <laughs> um, that's me wafting Serenity by Jan. <laughs> if it is ten thousand dollars, you could. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number one film uh, was another that was released straight to a streaming service. Uh, wow! Uh, this film, I'd heard vaguely that they were making a film about this event and I just didn't think any more of it. And then I don't even know what compelled me to watch it. Just a random weeknight, one of those times magic strikes and you see a brilliant film. Um, It's directed by Ron Howard and it's called 13 Lives. And it is the story of, you might recall a few years ago, there were 13 Thai boys stuck in a cave um, with uh, after some floods. Oh, it's um, a good cast. And it basically follows these British and an Australian, uh, these like rescue divers as they, uh, they basically arrive in Thailand and sort of start devising a plan to try and get these boys out alive. Um, cast is fantastic. So the, the divers are played by Viggo Mortensen, uh, the great Colin Farrell and also Joel Edgerton, second appearance for Joel in my list this year. No, um, yeah, all three of them had a big year. Like Colin's had three. The, ba- the Batman, he's got that other one, the Banshees of... Banshees of Inner Sheeran. Yeah, Joel Edgerton, a couple. And Vigo was also in a Cronenberg film this year. He was in Crimes of the Future. Yeah. Um, um, and big cast. As, as well as a, a whole bunch of great like Thai actors who, who I obviously don't really know um but but they were they were fantastic as well but um i mean it's rare that a film that's based on true events where you know really what's going to happen at the end is really gripping but it is just so beautifully shot by ron howard who i was not a director i really considering he's had some of the biggest blockbusters of the last like 30 years Mm. um he's not really a director I've, i've loved but um the suspense and the uh, just, I think as well, like a big part of this is just how incredible the feat that these guys achieved was. So basically um, these, even though they, they 
they do get through and find them in the cave, which is a feat in itself because they're about a kilometre or two into this cave system, which is flooded. Um, the problem is, is like the water is not going to drain out. So they get like they're in this, this hollowed out bit, but they're going to run out of oxygen and there's no way they can get these kids through this. It, it's really hazardous diving to get through there. You've got to scrape through openings that are barely wide enough for, for a guy to get through with a, the tank. And so, they basically have to uh, anaesthetize each of the boys and try and take them through one by one, which is just so hazardous because they they don't have the stats of the their their uh, weight and things to give them the proper dose. So they just basically get you know if one of them wakes up under underwater, they're just going to freak out. And so it's it's the stakes are very high, but it yeah. is just it's an incredible film. Uh, I'll hardly recommend it. That that would be it would get into my best of the decade so far. Thanks, wow. Clinton. <laughs> um wholeheartedly recommend. Yeah, yeah, that's a hard sell. Um I got I've got to, I haven't been writing normally I write down your list, but I've been trying to just keep focus on the conversations. So I'll have to get your mm. list off you later and I'll be able to start pulling some of these movies. Yeah, um, but um and it's it's streaming on Amazon, uh if if people have that. Uh so yeah, it's available to watch kind of Right now, nice one. Sorry, I've got the baby monitor next to me and just lit up. I only like to witness sound, but I think Luna ran behind the bedroom. So uh, okay, I think Zoe's still asleep. Yeah, she is cool. Hey, Zoe, uh, <laughs> I'm always worried when I look on that monitor, something's just going to walk past the lens. And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> the other night there was a spider web across the camera, and I was like, I've got to get rid of that, otherwise, one day I'm going to turn that lens on, the spider's going to be there and <laughs> freak me out. So um, that's a good pick. I, I'm very keen to watch it. You got a couple of couple of good streamers on there. Um, I did it all old school. Everything I wrote, I, I put on, came out in cinemas. So, um, you old fuddy duddy. I know. What an old man I am. I'm <laughs> feeling it in my knees. Uh, what? I guess I should talk about my number one. I don't think it's a surprise. It's the Batman. What a film! I uh, again, I didn't know until last night. I was looking at it. I was going through the list. As I said, the top three, top two, I was definitely quite convinced with. The top three, I was, you know, I was pretty convinced with as well. But I rewatched the Batman on, in November, as I said, and I was nervous because, like, this is a three-hour movie. A, is she going to get through it? And B, is it going to be rewatchable? Like, is it going to hold up? Because the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, there are some bits I probably would have cut out. It watched better the second time than the first time. It's so good. Um, I even didn't mind the flooding part as much. Like the first time I watched, it, I was like, ah, this flooding bit goes on a bit more, but. Um, I, I really enjoyed all of it. It's captivating the entire time. Everyone is firing on all cylinders. There's not a bad performance in it. There's not a bad shot in it. Um, you could criticize the repetition of the music, but at the same time, if you're Batman and you're like in the thick of it night after night working on a case, like everything is a bit of a drone and re- re- repetitive mm. anyway. So I can kind of lean into that stylistic choice. Um, you can complain about Bruce Wayne not being suave and you can complain about not much Alfred and him being treated like garbage, but that's kind of the point of this film. Like he's learning to be, but he's not even Batman in this film. He calls himself vengeance. Like that's not a nickname, you know, cause I don't want to say Batman. Like he doesn't have a name yet. Like, they're not calling him the Batman. Um, this is him becoming the Batman, him becoming a beacon of hope. Um, it's flawless. It's so, so good. Um, it's the, one of the best villains we've had. Like I would put Dano's Riddler up there with with Heath Ledger's Joker. Mm. Um, yeah, I agree. Quite easy. But for like, like, like uh, the Heath Ledger's Joker was just like 
kind of theatrical. And I don't say that to, it's like one of the great performances we've ever had. But there's something so sinister about Paul Dano in this film. It's, well, they gave him like an, an incel vibe, which totally works for this movie. Um, I said to Tina, she, she mentioned, she goes, he feels like a bit of an, I was like, an incel? And she's like, yeah. I was like, I'm like, I know it's like, it's it's harrowing to pull from the world, real world because like this has obviously happened, like versions of this has happened, but doesn't it fit perfectly? And isn't it like the Riddler's always been a bit of a loner thinking he's the smartest person in the room. Like in the 21st century, he would live stream it. Mm. He would build up a digital following. Like he would absolutely do that. Um, it's so well-crafted. Like after... Um, the Dark Knight. I never thought we needed another Batmobile chase. Um, the first time I saw Batman vs Superman, I didn't love that Batmobile chase, but I have come to appreciate it. But this is a great Batmobile chase. Mm. Like when he hunts down, it's so claustrophobic. I, was, I remember I was talking to Tina when we were watching it. When I saw it in the cinemas with you, it was I felt so um, uh, overwhelmed. Like I just felt like this kind of over. I just felt like I. It felt so, so claustrophobic. I was just like, oh my God, there's like the trucks are closing in. It's so, there's a blaring red. It was too much for me. I felt like, um, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say now, but um, it was just, it was so much, but it works brilliantly. Like, mm. yeah, Colin Farrell obviously is fantastic. Zoe Kravitz is wonderful. Um, Turturro knocks it out of the park. Like, everyone is doing all the right work. It's, um, it's, it's a masterclass. It is the best Batman movie. Um, the biggest, the biggest shame of the Ben Affleck films is we never really got a Batman villain out of him. Like we got Batman. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like we got KG based kind of in, in Batman vs Superman, but that was about yeah. it. Like, yeah. You know, the, the only thing I would say that I didn't think absolutely popped in this film was Andy Serkis as Alfred, like not a massive criticism, but I just didn't. I think he That's has. The, I think he has about five minutes in the movie. Like, mm. um, but when you do see him, like, the, he has that wonderful moment where he's like working on the the cryptograph. He's like figuring out. He's like talking about how, like, you can see that like, he's his smarts have inspired Bruce Wayne. I thought it was a really wonderful, um, understated Alfred moment. Like, just him pointing out some things he's missed and just be like, oh, well, you know, we know what we're looking for, but we don't. I'm removing what we're not looking for. What like I can't remember what the line was exactly. Just like a lovely mm. little kind of moment there. Um, and also like him, you know, setting the record straight about you know Thomas Wayne and like how he wasn't a bad guy just because Carmine Falcone said he was that kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. I, I, I adored this film, and I'm so glad it holds up. It doesn't need to be watched a lot because it is a long film and it sits with you, but it is utterly rewatchable. Um. But as I said at the start of the, this episode, I could move any film on this list to any position any day of the week and I'd still be happy. Like, And there's some honourable mentions we'll get to in a moment that could easily fall into that list on a, on a good day. So, mm. Yeah, there was. Um, I had, I've got some honourable mentions and I've got some films that I wanted to watch but didn't quite get to this. Yeah, this I mentioned the ones here. I hadn't got to already, so we can jump into the ones you hadn't got to if you want and then we can go through honourable mentions. Yeah, for sure. So um, there's just three. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was another straight to Netflix one, which was All Quiet on the Western Front. I've heard nothing is, but great things. People are I've, harping on about this one. Also heard that it's really fantastic. Um, I did not get a chance to. Uh, I really love Paul Thomas Anderson, but I did not get a chance to see Licorice Pizza. Oh, I thought that was a 2021 film, um, but I think you're right. I think it's 2022. Yeah, I um, keep meaning to order. I haven't got around to ordering it, but I wanted to mm. see that one. 
Um, and uh, we, we've spoken about Colin Farrell a lot on this podcast. I also really want to check out the Banshees of Inner Sheeran um, with Brendan Gleeson as well. Um, it's um, it's, the, it's is it Martin, Martin McDonough? Yeah. Return to the in team Bruges. that brought you in Bruges, one of the great films of the century. So did he far. also do The Guard and, and Cavalry? Did he do those ones as well? You know, I don't. Now you say that, that sounds like he would have made The Guard. I haven't <laughs> seen like, The Guard. I've seen Cavalry, and gee, that is a dark film. I'm going to have to do some quick IMDBing here. What's it called? I, Cavalry. Cavalry, yeah. Oh, I've got Cavalry on my shelf, actually. I can just look it up. Can I reach it without knocking everything off my shelf? That's the thing. Ah, they're jammed in too tight. All right, I'll just let you figure it out. That's fine. This is great for the audience. And as the listeners know, I don't cut anything out of an episode, so this is going to be kept in. Just a little bit of um, trivia. When you type in Martin into IMDb, the first hit is Doc Martin. So shout nice out to Martin one. Clunes. Well done, Martin Clunes. Good acting. So I'll just quickly give you a run through of his um, filmography. There's one. There's one I'm missing. There's a big one I'm missing. Yeah, it's called Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, uh, I don't think that's what I'm thinking of, but he did do that one. That was a brilliant film as well. Seven Psychopaths. Oh, that's a good one. This In Bruges, uh, Six Shooter. Oh, maybe. Uh, maybe I'm um, okay. Never mind. Good. Good director though. Um, yeah. Colin Farrell's had a wonderful year. Yeah. Uh, and that is my would have liked to have caught but haven't caught them yet list. No worries. Well, do you want to do your honourable mentions or do you want me to go through mine and then you can kind of tick off ones that are on your list as well? No, I'll, I'll, I'll do mine. I've only got three. Uh, okay. I think like an addendum to, to the, the pre, like the preamble about 2022, which I didn't want to say before, was that as I said to you in a text message, mine wasn't so much like, these are my 10 favorite films. It's like, these are the 10 films I saw that were made last year. There really wasn't too many um, additional ones. Oh, before you do, did you want to talk about who's, who won 2022? I did. What was your, what, do you have an answer? It was Tom Cruise. I, I think Tom Cruise absolutely won 2022. I think Tom Cruise won 2022. To be 40 years into your career and then to have a film that good that is yeah. also your highest grossing film. Yeah. Yeah, and like I, I didn't have to think about it, and it wasn't like he was on my mind, it was on my radar. As soon as you said, I'm like, oh, well, he definitely did. Like yeah. he played the long game, and it worked out for him. And um, yeah, um, congratulations, Tom Cruise, for winning 2022. Yeah, that's right. We'll get him a big uh, 2022 medal. Shipped yeah, out to him. hopefully he's listening. Hey, Tom. Um, honorable mentions: Doctor Strange, just missed the cut. Thor: Love and Thunder, loved it. So underrated. People were really unfair to that movie. That's on my honorable mentions as well. Liked it. Couldn't say loved it. I liked it. I, I liked it more than Ragnarok. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Okay. Because Ragnarok is a classic in my opinion. Uh, and then uh, I recently just checked out Spirited, which is Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds' take on a Christmas tale. And I, uh, it's all I know really about enjoyable. Is, I all I know about is that Hugh Jackman put out a video about that this morning. I don't know if you saw. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, which is very funny. Um, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's really nice. It's um, really funny. Will Ferrell's always funny. And, yeah, good Christmas film. Good addition to, like, the Christmas canon. Nice one. Nice one. But yeah. Uh, all right, I'll work through these quickly because I've got quite a few. Um, 
the Bob's Burgers movie I loved. I thought it was really fun. I loved that show, and so to see a theatrical version was great. Thor Love and Thunder, as I said, I, I really enjoyed. Christian Bell was great. Would have loved more of him. Um, the Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, the Nick Cage film. Uh, my only problem with that film is that it wasn't – it could have been crazier. I expected it was kind of some real craziness. And it was a bit too normal, but it was really fun. Uh, we mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. Also, Werewolf by Night, I really enjoyed. Um, the Halloween special they did. Um, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was a horror film that came out starring uh, Peter, well, who's the, Pete Davidson and Amanda, Amanda Stenberg and Maria Bakalova, the girl from Borat 2. Um, a really interesting take on a horror film. Um, a lot of people didn't like it because none of the characters are very likable. Well, that's kind of the point. It's basically <laughs> like, the, like the Gen Z... Like live streaming generation, self you know, mm. self involved like in a um in a ser- like a killer situation, really really fun. Um, DC League of Super Pets was the first movie I ever took my daughter to the theater with, um, and it was just a great animated film, really fun, made me cry a bunch. Um, and better than Black Adam, like of the two rock superhero films that came out, that was the better one. Um, Orphan First Kill I just watched the other night, which is a prequel to the movie Orphan. Um, really fun but also really dark, like not scary dark, just like some of the ideas in the film were really dark and as a parent upset me a little bit. <laughs> um, but if you like Orphan, it's it's a really good companion piece. Um, Smile, scariest film of the year, terrified me. Like I had to watch it in three sittings because it was so scary. Give, um, me, give me like a 30-second non-spoiler synopsis of Smile. So Smile opens um, basically uh, – a therapist is working in a hospital and a girl is rushed to her in an emergency because she's having a traumatic experience. She says that something's hunting her, but um, no one believes her. And basically what it is, it's a possession film where there's a demon that has a smile and when it possesses its victims, they smile as well. But it's a really cruel smile. So, like, it's all mouth, no eyes, very deadpan. And, like, that's one of the scariest parts of the film is just how unsettling it is. Um, so it's very – but then and then they have, like, four days before they die. So it's kind of like the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, but with a little bit of possession, but it's it had a lot of jump scares, which is normally a bad thing for horror. But I think they did the jump scares very, very well, and that's why it scared me. Um, and there's just some creepy. Like there's one point, like where the main character just looks around, and in the shadows, there's just someone standing there smiling, like in the like you can just you, that is terrifying to even think of. And like that's not even jump scare. That's just like a scene, and then it just moves on to the next thing. Like you don't see their eyes; you just see the mouth face. It's yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 very very creepy, um, but very well done. And it was lovely I'm just to see. Looking at some photos of people smiling on. Oh yeah, the faces are terrifying. Yeah. Um, and uh, Cal Penn back in, on cinema screen, which I was really loved to see. Um, Chippendale Rescue Rangers uh, was a Disney Plus original which came out earlier this year with um, Andy Samberg and John Mulaney. Fantastic, so much fun. Very much in the light of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like that mix of animation and live action. Um, I remember I asked Tina to watch and she wasn't sure because she doesn't like the Rescue Rangers. She um, was laughing the entire way through. Like, it's really, really funny. Um, Fresh was a Hulu original, which aired on Disney Plus for us in Australia. Sebastian Stan plays a guy who abducts women and sells their meat. Um, It sounds really messed up, and it is, but it's also really fun. Um, Bullet Train was a really good action film. Brad Pitt on a train um, getting up to shenanigans. Um, nope, 
Uh, I recently listed it as one of my most disappointing horror films on another podcast, but that's just because it wasn't really a horror film. But as a, a movie itself, it's really, really well made. Uh, Matilda, I quite liked, which was the live-action adaptation of the stage musical based on the book, which was also made in a movie 30 years ago. Um, it didn't quite hit every beat for me because they, they cut a couple of songs down that I really enjoyed, but all in all, it's, it's a fun watch. Um, Scream 5, great. Love a Scream film. They did a great job with it. Um, I can't wait to see what hap- happens in Scream 6. Um, the Northman uh, was a wonderful movie. Uh, was on my top t- top five list for the longest time, and then just a few more films popped up. Um, but The Northman's really well done. Robert Eggers, who's done The Witch and The Lighthouse. Can't make a movie without the word the, and I'm okay for that. Um, Men, we talked about at the start of the, of the episode. I loved Men. Um, that was a, a flick that was uh, on, my, on my top ten list for a long time as well, and then just kind of fell off. And then the last one I'm going to talk about, I talked about quite extensively on the other show, but I don't know what you know about this film and you might have questions, but the last one is Terrifier 2, which was a notorious film uh, in 2022. Um, okay, is this the film that was like people were fainting or something like that? People were fainting and throwing up. Um, it was a film that um, I've seen the first one a few years back. I watched it while um, Tina was pregnant, actually. And... Um, it was quite brutal. I didn't care much. The first one, I was like, ah, like visually it's quite interesting because the effects are good, but there's not much of a story and it's quite a mean-spirited film. Um, and then I read about this film and they're like, we fixed it. Like, there's so much more story now. Like, you care about characters. Um, it's It was getting rave reviews early on. And then I got in my own head, yeah, terrible. It's scariest clown you'll ever see in theaters. Like, scary, like, that is the scariest design of a clown. In this movie, it's he's quite... Um, funny so it takes takes away from some of it but yeah. i got inside my own head because i was talking to a friend who's a big horror fan and she was like okay this is the goriest film i've ever seen i was like more than saw and hostile and she goes yes i was like okay um and then she she messaged me i was at a christmas party. she's like oh i just saw a scene and it really messed me up like it's a really upsetting scene and she got in my head i kept putting it off but i'd already bought it so I was sitting there on my blu-ray shelf i'm like well i'm gonna have to wait till daytime to watch this movie because it's gonna mess me up um, and then it was getting closer because the end of the year and I wasn't getting any days to myself. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to turn it on. If I get 10 minutes and I have to try again tomorrow, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get through this movie. Um, it's really fun. It's like, a, it's a, it's a rubber gore movie. Like it's a very, mm. it's a very obviously fake. Um, it's a shout out to 80 slashes. I don't know who's throwing up and passing out in this movie because it's so obviously not real, but like, unless it's yeah. the first horror film, um, <laughs> Like, don't get me wrong. The kills are brutal. Like, there's some really messed up kills in there. But because it is so fake, it is it is quite amusing. Like, it'd be a really good Halloween watch, I think. Like, if you if you sit around with buddies watching a gory film at Halloween, like Terrifier Two is one. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are some creepy moments in it. Like, there's a little girl who plays like a clown, and she's creepier than he is somehow. Um, and I was reading an interview with the director recently, and he was saying that what they did is when they took the mold of her mouth, they put the bottom teeth up top and the top teeth down the bottom, and that's why she looks so weird. And I was like, oh, that's what it is. It's really creepy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah. yeah terrible- I, had, I had heard about that one. You know, like I, I think I'd heard the same thing, but, like, yeah, people were throwing up and passing out and stuff. So my interest was peaked, of course. Um, but I find that those films rarely live up to that. So, like, if you I've, recall... I've, I've never seen a film that... I was talking about this on the other podcast as well. I think 
in my entire life, I've seen three, maybe three films that made my stomach churn. One of them is Cronenberg's The Fly with Jeff Goldblum, like, because it's just so gross. Um, and I can't remember what the other two were off the top of my head, but it, it's very rare. Like, it doesn't happen mm. very often. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, I didn't have, like, like my, the, the most disappointing thing about that film is it didn't make me feel that way at all. And I go, I was kicking myself. I'm like, man, I was really, like, worried about this film. Like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, to be honest, like, Smile sounds way creepier and scarier, like, things like that. Like, I will, when you mentioned that, like, you just saw, in Smile, you just see someone's, like, smile out of the dark. Like, to my dying days, I'll never forget in Hereditary when, He's in yeah. the house at the end, and you just see like a naked guy kind of emerge from the shadows. It's yeah. just like, God. Kill well, it's me. like it's like the Riddler in that opening scene of the Batman. Like just the idea that just someone's just standing, and how long have they been there? Yeah. But also, that smiling person also was like a spirit, so that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I posted up a, a screen cap of the menu screen for Smile the other day, and I literally said, "This is the most terrifying image I've ever seen. I haven't even started the movie yet. Like it's so unsettling." Um. Yeah, the, the the is it the girl smiling? Yeah. And there was like um I think it was like a TikTok or something. I don't subscribe to TikTok, but like I see reels, so like that was something present. And there was a clip from like a baseball game and it was just a woman just part of the promotional crew, she's just standing in there just staring at the camera smiling. And they're zooming like, like, wait, what's going on here? And it's just like a woman just like Yeah, oh it's so unsettling. It's just like the eyes and the smile aren't like connected. It's because it's not, it's not a friendly smile. It's a, yeah. It's, yeah. Like, um, yeah. So anyway, I'm glad we talked about that right before I'm going to go to bed. So yeah, that's that. right. Sweet dreams. I'm going to go back and watch the rest of studio six, 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 which is really fun. I haven't finished <laughs> it yet, but it's really fun. The Foo Fighters yeah. horror movie. Um, so far I'm really digging it. Um, Nice one. Did you have anything you want to add before we wrap up 2022 for good? Well, you're going to wrap it up for good. I'm going to keep talking about it for the rest of the month from the sounds of it. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to hearing like what, um, you know, the other people who are going to come on, what their lists are, see what cross. I mean, like, do you, do you anticipate like films like Top Gun, Maverick are going to appear in a few different lists or do you think everyone's going to have a really individual It's going to be interesting because Tina didn't watch as many films as I did last year. Um, she didn't see Top Gun. Um, like to the best of my knowledge, she might just list all three Marvel films. No, she didn't even see Black Panther. So just, I don't know. Just, mm. I think we're gonna do top five for her because she watched a lot less. But like mm. on my list of movies, she has seen three of them, and I put eleven on a list of ten. Um, mm. so I, I I smushed X and Pearl together, so she would have seen three of those movies. Um, Michael, if he ends up coming on, I think he will primarily do horror films. So I think he'll probably. I think X and Pearl are probably going to show up on there without giving too much away because he was the one who kept telling me to watch Pearl. I'm like, I am. I'm just waiting for it to get delivered. Um, and then if I get anyone, I don't know if I'm getting anyone else on or not yet for 2020 wrap-up, mm. 2022 yeah. wrap-up. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. Excellent. Well, that is going to do it then for our uh, return to podcasting extravaganza. I think we're going for about three hours. Um which is the way you want to do it. We're coming back strong. 2022 is now over. We're shutting the door on it, kind of. But we're um, channeling our inner James Cameron. We um, Or or uh, Matt Reeves, if you want to go for a, yeah. a, a top three movie of the year, um, <laughs> depending on who you ask in this group. <laughs> uh, 
Excellent. Well, thank you once again, Nick, for returning to the show. It's been lovely having you on and talking movies. We, I want to do it a lot more. Always a pleasure, my friend. Yes, anytime. We've got some – with this, the way the schedule's looking this year, we'll be catching up a lot because a couple of things we'll be talking about, which is good. Um, in the meantime, thank you everyone for listening and, and coming back after that hiatus. Sorry it was so long. Uh, please follow along on Instagram at I was a teenage film snob with all those lowercase uh, un- uh, underscores in between. Uh, like and rate the podcast. Only five stars. So if you're not going to give me five stars, get out of here. Um, <laughs> now nah, we'll still have you. That's fine. Uh, Nick, did you want to say anything be- to the kids at home before we wrap up? Nope. Happy New Year 2023. And looking forward to hearing what, um, hearing some top 10 lists or just top fives. 2023 is going to be a huge year. There's some great stuff coming out already. I'm very excited. The movies aren't going anywhere, guys. And as we say every week, I was a teenage film snob, but I'm trying to be better. We'll see you next week.